AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music. And lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Welcome to Movie Crush, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to Movie Crush. This is Charles W. Chuck Bryant in the home studio, Pont City Market, Atlanta, Georgia, Friday interview a dish with my old pal Joe Garden. Uh, Joe, I met when I first started becoming pals with the people over at The Onion. This is pretty early on and stuff you should know. Um, I believe it was Joe Randazzo that reached out initially, said, hey, I'm the editor-in-chief of The Onion. We like what you guys do. Next time we're in New York, uh, come by and see us. And we did. Josh and I went to The Onion, and uh, it's a publication I had uh, always loved and admired. Just some of the best writing, um, the best satire, really, that there is, uh, came from The Onion in that era, in my opinion. And uh, I went by, and I met Joe there. And Joe was just one of these guys who, like, was immediately friendly and uh, just super nice and just a character. Joe's one of those guys where... Like they truly broke the mold. He is – he's one of the great oddballs I've ever known. And I say that uh, in, in such an endearing way. Love, love me some Joe Garden. And uh, he was coming back up from being in Florida on a road trip and we had been in touch and he was like, hey, dude, I can stop by the studio if you want to talk about uh, the horror movie Suspiria. And I said, sure, man. Come on up. It would be great to see you. And we did just that. And it's the first time I had seen Suspiria. Uh, the Italian uh, giallo horror classic from Argento. Um, if you haven't seen this movie, boy, oh, boy, hang on to your hats. I, I had long um, – I was about to say avoided it. I didn't avoid it because I wanted to see it. But uh, I had long wanted to see it but never got around to it until Joe forced me to watch it. And it is something else, uh, not for the faint of heart, 
um, kind of corny in some parts because of what it is, but also deeply disturbing and horrific and beautiful. And the music is so great. And it's just it's one of these um, cult classics that you got to check out. And Joe has a lot of love for the film, a lot of love for the genre. So if you are a horror film fan, especially a fan of Italian giallo horror movies of that era, then you're going to really enjoy this. And I think you're also going to like hearing about The Onion and Joe's time there. If you're a fan of comedy writing, this is a good one to listen to. So here we go, everyone, with Joe Garden on Suspiria. Try the. Have you tried the, D, the DJ trick, uh, trick of licking it to make sure it's connecting right? <laughs> is that a thing? Well, it's for the thing for when you're putting uh, – if you're uh, using a new turntable at a bar you've never been to, you – Put your cart. You always have to bring your own cartridges because, like, cartridges disappear at people's. So uh-huh. you bring your cartridges. You lick it to make sure it makes all the contacts with it. Oh wow! So that was you know, I didn't do much of it, but I did enough of it to know that trick. Right. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah. But anyway, um, yeah. Thing X. Yeah, Thing X just kind of fell apart, and it was like, and then it, or there was like a turned into Adult Swim, where we didn't have, you know, we were supposed to find our own voice, and instead we were trying to find a voice of. I don't know what kind of voice we were trying to find. It was like we were trying to please Mike Lazo, who was impossible to please. Right. So, and then at that point, I was like, and then I had moved into an apartment where I had a really sweet deal. Yeah. Uh, where it was like two, you know, it was like every, I think it was like $900 a month I was paying for like a full. And that was in New York? Yeah. Or in, in Brooklyn? Brooklyn? In Greenpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is so cheap. Yeah, I know. Uh, and it was like, it was definitely the apartment I needed when I needed it. Um. But my landlord died, and his niece is like, "Well, you know, we're going to sell the building." Yeah, and I'm like, "Okay, well, that's fine, but you know, I have a two year lease uh, right. I, that I just signed right before he died, so uh-huh. you're going to have to buy me out." And so I gave them a price, and they're like, "Well, that seems awful high." I was like, eh. "Right," and I kept on being like, "Oh my god, she's right. It does seem awful high." But <laughs> the advice people gave me was like, "You know what? Don't bid against like don't bid against yourself. Like you, this is your like." It's up to them to make a counteroffer. It's not right. It's not your job to do that. And right. so they never did, and I got what I asked for. So so I took the money and moved up to upstate New York. <laughs> right. So, yeah. So it's like it's nice. It's like I live, uh, live right outside of Woodstock. Oh, man. Um, Have you been by Big Pink? I haven't yet. It's funny because it's like <laughs> that's it, the first thing I think about. Yeah, well, it's like, and I have been, you know, I have been down the little lonely stretch of road that uh, uh, Bob Dylan was on when he crashed his motorcycle. Oh his, yeah, uh, sure, by his agents. Um, but I haven't been by Big Pink yet. I don't know why I haven't. Um, I'm a band nut, <laughs> and uh, and also Dylan nut. So mm-hmm. yeah, I would like. I almost went to see uh, you know Levon's place when mm-hmm. he was alive, and went to one of the rambles there. And never got to, and then he passed away, and I always thought there would have been time, and so I was just so upset. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's like, it's one of those things, like, everybody has, in Woodstock, has so much affection for, for him, and everybody talks about him like they're on a first-name basis, uh, which is yeah. a weird thing. It's, it's, you know, it's nice to be a part of the community like that. And it's still, uh, that area is still very much uh, artist sort of centric, right? Yeah, very much so. Kingston is nearby. It's uh-huh. like, it's about, you know, a 15-minute drive from Woodstock, right, and uh, that's also like that's also becoming. It's uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of. Well, I can't say a lot, but you know, my, a friend of mine is. Uh, her name is Carolina Johnson. She's a mm-hmm. New Yorker cartoonist. She lives up there now. Oh, nice. Uh, a few other musicians that I know 
uh, like I know a few mus- musicians up there that are some currently, but you know, they're all, all currently recording actually. Um, uh, and then, yeah, so it's like, it's still like, it's, it's great. still pretty vibrant. It's still, you know, still people are moving up there and Kingston especially is like sort of becoming a, like the cool little, the cool yeah. little spot. Yeah. Now, how long were you at The Onion? God, I was there for 19 years. I mean, I was wow. there full time for eight and then like as a contributing writer and, and, you know, for, you know, uh, you know, 11 before that. So, well, but you're from Wisconsin, right? Yeah. Okay. I, is that where you worked for them initially or no? Yeah. I locked into it. I mean, I was when the first year of the onion was also my first year as a student in the university of Wisconsin. Wow. Uh, so I remember a friend of mine walked up to me. He's like, Oh, look at this, look at this hot new thing. <laughs> and he showed me a cartoon written, which I found out later was written by Scott Dickers, the former editor in chief. Uh-huh. And he, uh, he showed me uh, this this cartoon. It's like the freshman universe because I was a freshman at the time. Right. Like, ha ha ha. That's you. Yeah. Uh, but I remember still that very distinctly that first cover. Wow. Uh, the monster of Lake Mendota, which uh-huh. was uh, you know, it was the the famous Loch Ness monster uh-huh. photo. Um, and then you know I went on and didn't you know didn't even think I would be able. It was sort of like a clubhouse. I that I thought I'd never be able to get into. And right. I met some of the people that worked there, and then finally. Some of them, one of them came up and was like, you're funny. Do you want to try writing for us? And I'm like, yeah, I would. That, would. that would be great. So you joined up pretty soon after they launched then, a few years? Five years, but it's like uh-huh. I, I was there before they were online. Right. I mean, it's one of those things where people are always like, one of the founding people from The Onion. And it's like, I don't like, I... Not exactly, but close. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, relative to the whole endeavor, which is 30 years old uh, right, at this right. point. Yeah. Um, yeah, they just had their 30th year last year. That's crazy. Um, now... All right, so you write for The Onion there. You moved to New York for that job? Yeah. Okay. I, was, I could never – I mean, the thing about lucking into a job is that you, you're never really sure how to parlay that into other jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so – but when The Onion moved to New York, like I'd, I sort of said, you know, I had been doing this for such a long time and I've been, you know, getting paid very little as a writer – as a freelance writer for yeah. you and I'd like to – Go full time, and you know I've also created two recurring characters that you, you know, are pretty beloved. You said I'd like to make a little money working full time for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of. Uh, I mean, I'd, asserting myself has never been my strong point. <laughs> it still isn't. Even though there are people like when people owe me money, I, I want to be like, uh, I don't know, gee, uh, you know, uh, hate to hate to mention this, but I, you know, I spent uh, eight hours uh, doing some work for you. Right, uh, back, like, it's black- my fault. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's it's my fault that I owe, that you owe me money. But uh, can we take care of that sometime? <laughs> All right. So you go to New York. You're writing for The Onion. Mm-hmm. Um, is it still just a newspaper at this point or is it online yet? We had gone online in like 1998 or 90, 97 or 98, I think. And it was uh, – it just happened to be at the right place at the right time. It was uh-huh. like a perfect storm of, you know, we had been honing our, you know – it wasn't even content then. It was writing. We'd been honing our writing and yeah. honing what we were doing uh-huh. uh, for years. And so by the time it was actually went online, we had a finished product um, that was, you know, ready to roll. Yeah. And so people gravitated toward it pretty quickly. And, mm-hmm. you know, we were – because we were one of the first, you know, one of the first, you know, parodying, you know, satir- satirical news sites. I sure. almost said sat- satirical. Uh, <laughs> uh, so – yeah, so that was—I mean—it was really fortunate on our part because we, 
uh, if we had been a year later, I don't know if the same thing would have happened. Right. And if we had been earlier, which here's a little, I don't know, this has never been talked about uh, in the Onion history, but it is a Whoa. very true thing. Um, when I started at the Onion, there were two print editions. Mm-hmm. There was the Madison edition, and then there was an edition that was printed in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois, okay. uh, at their campus. And the... I could say this because I wasn't – there's no – I have no confidentiality clause. There. <laughs> I don't think anybody uh, ever had a confidentiality clause there. But uh, so this is like 1993. Uh-huh. Right after I started, uh, the the people that were running the Champaign-Urbana edition uh-huh. stopped paying their franchise fees. They didn't pay for like a couple months. Uh-huh. But they were running the content, running the paper. And then they also were working on their own online edition called The Melvin Keep in mind, in 1993, an online anything mm-hmm. meant that I think there's no like there's no simple web browser. I think it was Gopher or something like that. Oh yeah, like, who so, knows? I can't even remember. Like the early, the internet in the early days was just like I have no idea how yeah. to find any of this stuff that's supposedly uh, you know lives here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was like one step up from the the, the BBSs of the of the 80s, right? And, uh, of the 80s and 90s, but. So they started this thing called the Melvin, and mm-hmm. they were just like trying to float it, float it out there. And I remember us all clustered around the one computer in the office <laughs> that was connected to the internet and watching it download oh piece by piece. <laughs> <laughs> it was sitting there for five minutes, and then it was like it was, looked exactly like the Onion, same uh-huh. same format, same like uh, same joke structures, wow. same like same font even. And they called the lawyer. The lawyer put a cease and desist on it, and uh-huh. another you know another four or five years passed before you actually went online. By that time, you know, you could and it was an easier. You know. Yeah. So, yeah, that was an interesting, it was interesting though, watching it, you know, because having sort of toiled in semi-obscurity uh-huh. to, you know, in Madison, then we expanded to Milwaukee, then we expanded to Chicago, then we expanded to Minneapolis and then we're online and people right. are like talking about us and, you know, click and clack, the Tappet brothers are reading an article of the onions on there. Yeah, yeah. On, uh, on the air. And uh, <clears throat> I was so like, it was just so, suddenly it's just like so flattering. It's just like, oh my gosh, we, we, we made it. Yeah. Um, even though we weren't, we were still getting paid pretty, pretty poorly. But uh, <laughs> it was such a fun vibe. Like when um, I visited a couple of times, you know, and um, it, it's, it just feels like those were sort of the salad days of the onion. And everyone was like awesome and all the writers and, I mean, you just had like rock stars on staff. There were, I mean, there really were. It's it's funny because like there were a core of there were people that definitely knew that they could uh, they could sort of uh, turn their experience at the Onion into a writing career. Yeah, into writing comedy for it's like, like an you, incubator almost. Yeah, like like Dan Weber was one of the early editors. Mm-hmm. He's like you know he's. Uh, went on to be one of the first writers at Futurama and right. is like now uh, on The Simpsons. Uh, Dan Guterman, who is later, but he's like, you know, he worked on, oh, shoot, what did he, he worked on Rick and Morty uh-huh. and some other stuff, uh, uh, Community. Carol Cole was at Brooklyn, you know, who was oh, sure. amazing. She was like, she was like such a rock at that place. Like, I can't emphasize how her sensibility was just like, she was great at like, Raining in a bunch of like, like lunkheads that were right. just like would just as soon like sleep under their desk right. uh, for most <laughs> of the day, and like getting work, like getting quality work and banging it into shape. And you know, she was a fantastic editor. And you know, and Rob Siegel, uh, who is now doing the Wrestler, or he he rather he wrote the Wrestler, 
Uh, he directed, wrote and directed Big Fan. Oh, uh, wow. He wrote uh, a few other things. Oh, that's right. You were in Big Fan. I was, I had a brief, uh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> that was a good I, movie. I, it was a good movie. Yeah. I, that, that's my, my CV should just include the, uh, the phrase, did not ruin Big Fan. Uh, <laughs> I'm not. I wasn't. I wasn't great at it. Uh, but I was. I was okay. I oh, did no, not you were good. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, if you haven't seen it, it's uh, starring Patton Oswalt, uh-huh. and it's uh, and it's great. Oh, and who else? Uh, well, Randazzo, of course. Yeah, and Joe Randazzo, who still writing. Yeah, and... still writing, and he's. I, I think he was. Yeah, he was at uh, Min- at midnight. Mm-hmm. At at midnight. And that Todd. Feels weird uh, to say. What's Todd, Todd Hansen. Todd Hansen, right? Todd Hansen and I have. Uh, uh, Todd is great. It's like if you haven't, if you, I can I can I suggest a podcast that's not on the Stuff You Should Know Network? Uh, <laughs> Joe, come on! I know, of course you can. <laughs> uh, listen All to, boats rise. Listen to Todd uh, Todd Hansen on the Mark Maron podcast. Oh, I like, did, he did one of those. He did one of those, and he talks very. It's like it's divided into two halves. The uh-huh. first half is oh, talking wow. about the Onion, and the second half is talking about his very real de- struggle with the uh, with. Depression, which culminated in a suicide attempt, oh, man. and it's really honest and moving, and you know, just and he's a, he's a really he's a really wonderful guy. Yeah. He, in fact, the last time we uh, hung out, in uh, he came up. To, we we did. He and I have done some uh, some writing workshops for uh-huh. Bard College, which is right by you know pretty close to me. Sure, and they have a they have a. The Bardvark, it's called. Uh, <laughs> or Bar- they have Brad comedy, and they do the Bardvark, and it's like a, they're, it's like their humor organization. So we've gone in there and done a couple of writing workshops with them. Uh-huh. And the last time he came up for that, we sat down and watched Mad Max. Me for the second time, him nice. for the eighteenth. Not Mad Max. It was Fury Road. Uh-huh. Uh, me for the second time, him for the eighteenth time. <laughs> and watching a movie with Todd Hansen is a great experience because he's just like, he will like he like, yeah, yeah. like, doesn't matter how many times he's seen it. He's, <laughs> he's one of those kids. He's just like. We'll just be like vibrating with excitement. Right. And he'll be like, oh, he'll, just, he'll point out things you might have missed. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, he's uh, he's really great. And it's just like there's so many other great people that have worked there. And I, Yeah, it was just such a like uh, – I mean the vibe was great, but it just felt like – it felt like what it must have been like to be like the Lampoon in the 70s and 80s, I feel like. Yeah, I think so, except for I think – well, there's another core – like there's the people that moved on and then there's the people that just like – Never knew – like because like me, for example, who lucked in and mm-hmm. just was like I didn't know how to – you know, I didn't know how to make it anything besides, you know, working it. I mean I'm uh, – this is going to sound like I'm being falsely modest but it's just like I just don't know where my strengths are as a writer mm-hmm. and I, it's like I have a hard time. If something doesn't come easily to me, I'm just like I get really like, well, I don't, I don't know what to do now. It's like, do I go back and uh, – or, or do I give up? And right. like, obviously the answer usually is yes. Uh, <laughs> so – and it's, you know, which is not – it's a, it's a definitely a failing that I understand in myself and I'm trying to rectify that with other things I'm working on. Yeah? Yeah. Well, right now – I mean, I haven't been – What are you up. working on? Well – Like how are you scratching that creative itch? Because like I've known you for a while. You were at The Onion and then when The Onion moved, there was a – it was a huge deal oh God, to yeah. move from New York, and everyone was faced with that big decision. Like, are, am I done with this amazing thing that we've all – like, this big family is getting broken up. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it was traumatic as hell. Yeah. It was definitely traumatic as hell. And um, and you uh, kind of dropped out and went to upstate New York. I did. Uh, you know, we did two years uh, – you know, I continued working with Joe Randazzo and Chris Karwowski and – Sure, you know, with Thing other, X. Yeah, with Thing X, which then to it was AdultSwim.com, which then was nothing uh-huh. – uh, 
And uh, yeah, and I, I just was like, I was like, well, I don't know what to, you know, I don't know where I'm going to go at this point. So I moved upstate. I wrote a couple, you know, freelance pieces here and there. Uh-huh. And then uh, I've one of the things I've always done is I always was kind of, I, well, I don't know if you remember from visiting The Onion, I used to run a bodega called Joe's Cold Beverages. <laughs> Dude, I totally remember. <laughs> and I thought that was hysterical <laughs> and awesome. Like you always, uh, and following you on Facebook all these years, you're always sort of looking for that side hustle. <laughs> I feel like selling shit and uh, yeah. you, like you had a robust eBay thing going for a while. And I still do. And that's uh-huh. that's, good. that's what I've mostly concentrated on. I mean, I'm still doing other creative stuff. Like, uh-huh. I, like but- you know, I just like there's a I've been moving into like and I here's the thing. I'm going to go on a little mini rant. OK, because <laughs> I I call like I call my my side, my business like secondhand Joe's. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't want to use the word vintage because for me, the word vintage is just bereft of meaning. Sure. It's just a bullshit term that people yeah. use to sell <laughs> transformers that were like in a plastic box for 10 years. Yeah. You know, it's like if you talk about antiques, antiques have like there is a legal definition for antiques. Mm-hmm. It is. And I, I mean, I think maybe legal is not the quite. I, but it's a certain number of years, right? Yeah, a hundred years old, and okay. it's an antique. But if it's vintage, it just means somebody else has owned it before most of the time. Right. Yeah, and so like people, like people, when they ask me, like, "Was well, this vintage?" It's like I don't know. Somebody else owned it, so sure, it's vintage. Why not? <laughs> Fuck it, I don't care. It's vintage. Yeah. Um, but so, but I do that, and so I find all kind. Like I think part of the itch that gets scratched for me is like not only reselling things, but like finding just interesting things mm-hmm. like there are things that i can find that will you know that i know that i can turn around for a profit and it's just like eh, you know that's neither here nor there just like i do it and mm-hmm. i'm just like because i need to pay a mortgage um and i need have dogs to feed and you know my wife is you know she's working uh at a in a pharmacy and uh, you know, part-time at a pharmacy mm-hmm. and then the rest of the time she's cartooning so we're not like oh, she's a cartoonist yeah she is awesome. she's uh, she's had she mostly does it online, and she's had one published piece in an anthology called Dirty Diamonds. Mm-hmm. Um, one second, pardon me. I knew I shouldn't have had a cola. That's all um, right. <laughs> well, and also I want to say, like when I say you dropped out, it was not. I'm not like trying to be derogatory. Like, oh no, no, no. You I've... got a great new wife, and you bought a house that you were renovating. You got dogs, <laughs> and like that's. But Living I, out that bucolic sort of lifestyle is so appealing to me. So I totally get it. Yeah, I. And it's it's nice. I just like yeah. I can't I can't deny that it's been a fantastic experience. Just like sort of being able to rediscover myself. Sure. And, you know the the selling stuff. The like the the secondhand sales are just fun because like I get to pit, buy have like a it's like a treasure hunt. Uh-huh. Like you go to these you go to an auction and you're like oh this is interesting and then yeah. you sort of like do a little bit of research and like one thing I found was a <clears throat> of an auction I picked up for a pretty well I mean who's gonna like, I don't think anybody who, well, maybe somebody would actually. So I'm not going to say how much I spent on it. Um, <laughs> but I got a really good price on it. Uh, let's okay. just say. And it was a box of what looked like manuscripts, you know, the uh-huh. kind that had the, what are those binders called? The, like the, they're like script binders. Yeah, they're yeah, not, like, they're not brads, but they have the. The long things? Yes. Yeah. Um, it was filled with those, about 18 to 20 of them. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was kind of flipping through them. I was like, what the heck? what is this? I was like, I wasn't like a script, but it was all hand typed. Mm-hmm. And I found like a title page and it was called uh it was called The Comedian. And it turns out it was by this uh it was a 
monthly newsletter. These are bound editions. Each mm-hmm. each bound edition was a year's worth of uh, monthly newsletters, and each month was twenty to twenty four pages of original jokes and gags that this guy Billy Glaston wow. uh, would write. And he would sell the like so he would sell mimeographs of them for two dollars a piece. <laughs> and if you were a stand up comedian on or a like comedian on the circuit, uh-huh. you could get you could actually like buy this and use that material. Which is funny because like now comedians are very proprietary about their about sure. their material. And it's like, you know, the idea that somebody's actually just writing jokes that anybody can <laughs> yeah. Use if they subscribe to the newsletter is uh-huh. so strange. What, now, what year, what era was this? Like fifties through the early seventies. Wow! And he was actually a vaudeville guy back in the day. Like back in the, th- like I think he has a novelty song or two. Uh-huh. If you look him up online, like you can find the sheet music for one of his novelty songs. Uh, he wrote jokes for like Bob Hope and Johnny Carson wow. and Flip Wilson. So he was a professional. Uh-huh. He was actually making a, making a go of it. Um, and these are just like, it's just. It's amazing. It's just like a, there's also now. Where do you find that? That was at an auction. Okay, and I was like, like everybody just started passing it by, and like nobody was really interested. And mm-hmm. I was like, you know, and of course, as a comedy, sure, know, as a comedy nerd, I was just like, this. It felt like a Rosetta finding a Rosetta <laughs> yeah, Stone of some sort, right? Like even though it was like nobody maybe known who he was, right? It was still like like the idea of like somebody churning out twenty to 24 pages of jokes every month. Yeah. And like single spaced, it's uh-huh. not like, you know, he didn't skimp. So. Wow. And that was like, well, there's, uh, the downside is that there's also a minstrel show script in there. Oh, uh, uh, sure. And you're just like, ugh. Right. I can't, so I, I'm just looking at this, I was like, I don't even know what to do with this. Right. Like, there's not like, I can't sell this because, uh, you know, I would, I you know, if somebody was like collecting Black Americana or like it was, I that would be one thing, but it's like, right. if you sell something like that online, you don't know if it's going to go to somebody who's just like a whose interest is in racism is uh, yeah, yeah, is like yeah. academic or prurient and you know visceral, right? Um, and look at all the my collection of Nazi China uh, yeah. I have as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this will go perfectly with my this will go perfectly with my uh, mammy figure collection, and, right? And my my swastika pens. Uh, <laughs> Were you able to sell that stuff though? I've sold a few. Um, I gave some. I gave some away as gifts. Oh, that's cool. And uh, you know, I've definitely made my money back on it, and I have plenty more just to like hang on to or sell when the time is right. And so yeah, it's a good. Yeah, I was so. I mean, like, so stuff like that. It's like where you just. That's what I like about doing this is like you can find amazing yeah. things that you just didn't even know existed. Although right now the downside is I have a a a hair stitching machine that I bought. Uh, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Which can use either human hair or uh, or like f- fake hair. For, Stitch it into what? Uh, wigs uh, or okay. uh, or doll heads. Uh, uh, so <laughs> it's a it's a funny. I mean that's that's the thing where I was just like, I know that I could be sitting on this for a very long time, but uh-huh. there's that part of me that's like, this is just so weird. I've, I've got to fucking have this. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> sure. Um, now you also I remember seeing uh, uh, through social media you ran into Hogan Camp. I did. Right when I moved up to, uh, you know, I was like, I had just moved upstate and, you know, left all. Uh, I live in uh, Saugerties, like between Saugerties and Woodstock. Saugerties is mm-hmm. the home of Big Pink. Woodstock is where uh, Bob Dylan lived. Uh, right. We were just talking about that. Sure. But, um, and Kingston is pretty close by. And I, 
you know, I moved upstate and I was like, God, Jesus, did I make the right choice? Like I right. left my social, like I have some friends up here, but I've left most of my social yeah. uh, network behind in New York. And it's like, that, what am I going to do? Like, am I going to be able to make it with freelance writing and uh-huh. what's going to happen up here? And so I just went to, like, I went to the Salvation Army in Kingston and was just kind of bopping around. And I, the cashier's talking to this woman. I'm getting ready to check out. And the cashier's talking to this woman. And this guy is talking. Uh, he's talking to the cashier. And he's got, like, a like a Barbie doll strung around his neck. I was like, eh, you know, whatever. Sure. <laughs> and then he's like, ah, these uh there are these foreign women that were uh, taking my picture. They wanted to – they were all talking to me. And I'm just like, what the hell is going on here? I just couldn't figure out what it was. And then he said something uh, – he said something – he was talking a little bit. And finally it clicked for me. I just sort of jumped in the conversation. I was like, wait, Marwin call? And he's like, uh, yeah. I was like, can I, can I get a picture with you? And I was just so yeah. – like and for me that was just like, oh, I've made the right decision because right. I'm in – like I'm – this random this Salvation new, Army. Yeah, in the Salvation Army, and I run into this, like, you know, amazing visionary photographer, yeah. dioramist. Uh, what, what would, I mean, he's a photographer, I guess a dioramist. Uh, yeah, sure. But yeah, it's like, and I was like, oh, I made the right choice because yeah. this is where, this seems like it's where I belong. That's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, it was great. And so, you know, and there's, it's just been a really, it's been pretty fantastic. I mean, I Close enough, you know, about 100 miles north of uh, New York City, so. You ever go in? Yeah, I go less and less. Yeah. Um, <laughs> There's something to be said for living out, <laughs> out in the country. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the food, uh, you know, you don't have the wide variety of food. Right. But, uh, you know, I eat a lot healthier because I cook a lot more. Yeah. And it's also, you know, I, it's, I really, you know, I really like it. Oh, we also, the best part about it is we have, oh, well, I'll, I'm just going to. Detour a little bit. Uh, when I was looking at houses, uh-huh. uh, the realtor, we, I was like, oh, what about that house? It's like a split level. It was kind of beat up. Mm-hmm. Uh, we looked at it online. We drive out. And as we're pulling in, she's like, oh, the guy that lives over there has a record sale like a couple times a year. He like uh-huh. has a t- rents a tent and he has a – it's a big deal. Like he has like tables and tables and tables of records. Uh-huh. I'm like, oh, you don't say. Right, right. And then Birds we, of the feather. Yeah. And then we like – we're walking around and we go – I go in the backyard and I see that there's a, a functional, although wobbly, uh, merry-go-round, like full-size merry-go-round wow. in the backyard. And I'm just like, hmm, well, that's for me. <laughs> uh yeah, and it's great. Uh, Was that the house? Yeah, that's the house. Do you the, still have the merry-go-round? I would still have the merry-go-round. Oh, my God. I mean, what am I going to do? I'm gonna get, am I going to get rid of a no. merry-go-round? No. It's I like, think that, <laughs> yeah, that means you're officially dead inside. <laughs> Take this merry-go-round. Get it out of here. Get this merry-go-round <laughs> and throw it into that, uh, throw it into the, the hole with all the, with all the Legos in it. Right. I don't want to see those ever again. Um, well, let's jump back some to your growing up days. Okay. Um, because, um, you know, we always like to talk about the movies and influence and, like, what what was Joe Garden as a kid like? <laughs> what were you watching? What were you into? I was – well, I grew up in the 70s. Um, I think I'm a, I'm a year older than you. Uh, uh, I was 71. 70. Okay. Ma- but March sure. also, so – Yeah, when's your birthday? Uh, March 10th. All right. And yeah. yours is March – Just a few days ago, 15th. Oh, well, holy happy holy. birthday. Happy birthday to you yeah, too. Sir. I can't uh, – I have to <laughs> – can't believe I forgot to to wish you happy. Oh, that's all right. Forty eight and forty nine, then yeah. right? Yeah, as I'm getting closer to fifty, uh, uh, it's putting a lot of stuff in perspective. But, sure. Um, yeah, but uh, when I was growing up, I 
I was born in Chicago, mm-hmm. and we moved when I was uh, when I was three years old. We moved from Chicago to a small town in Southwest Wisconsin uh, called Richland Center. Mm-hmm. And when I say we moved to that town, I mean we moved to a house seven miles outside of that town. Right. So we were in the middle of nowhere. We were uh, able to walk in the middle of the road for like a mile without having to be yeah. having to worry about getting hit by a car. It's kind of great. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Um, it's nice. To, it's like, it's funny when I was in high school, I was like, I can't wait to get out of here. Yeah, and man. now I go back. I'm just like, I don't want to leave. This yeah. is so fantastic. Yeah. Similar here. Um, but so, you know, when I, we weren't really close to a movie theater, but I was always, there was a few things I was always super into, which was like, you know, the CBS movie of the week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the thing that really, I was thinking about this, like the thing I really loved was James Bond movies when I was a kid. I would oh, yeah. always just sit there and just like wait for the, you know, wait for James Bond movies to come up. And then at some point, um, I also started to get really interested. I I think I just checked out some books at the library mm-hmm. that had like they were sort of like you know the like those famous monsters of the film land and stuff like that the yeah. magazines that would have like pictures of horror movies in there uh-huh. this is like the hardcover edition uh, version of that it wasn't like famous monsters of the film land but it was like horror movie moments or whatever yeah. and it's just like black and white pictures still pictures from horror movies uh-huh. and i would just remember like flipping through it like checking it out and like flipping through it and i just remember like some really like there's one image that i still remember i don't know what the movie was and uh-huh. I, I don't know i can't remember because i can't remember the title of the book I can't figure it out. Right. But it was uh it was a picture of a woman like just a picture like shoulders up, her head at an angle, she had an axe in her head, and there was like blood <laughs> all over, except for immediately around the wound. So right. it was like which is weird. But I was like I was like so terrified and fascinated by that picture. Yeah. And so I started like I was like, I'm gonna start watching horror movies. How uh, old are you at this point? I was probably like eight to ten uh-huh. around there. And um, there's two important horror movie things. Um, there was sort of the precursor to Mr. Science Theater 3000. I mean, I, that's not that's not fair because everybody had this. I, I want to make it seem like it's unique to Madison. But I think everybody had like a horror movie host. Uh-huh. And in Madison, Wisconsin, which is where the uh, networks would broadcast from, they had a thing called Ferdy's Inferno uh-huh. where they'd have like they'd show Friday nights, they'd show a horror movie at like – I think it was like eleven o'clock or mm-hmm. after the after the nightly news, and you know I'd try my hardest to stay up to watch. Whatever. Right. The only thing I the only one I remember watching was one called the Monolith Monsters, which were just basically like carbon stalactites uh, <laughs> that would like and people like you know it was black and white science fictiony horror and yeah. like people running away, and I was like I was like this is it's not that great, but I still uh, still I feel like right. getting away with something. And then I remember probably I was like. 10 or 11, and I remember staying up to watch the public television broadcast of the Captain uh, of Dr. Caligari. Mm, right. Which I didn't know what to expect, but it was black and, you know, I remember, fortunately, it was a black and white movie because I remember watching it on a tiny black and white TV set yeah. uh, at my mom's house and just being like engrossed by this thing. And yeah. Waking up the next morning being like, Mom, what's a somnambulist? Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> so. Yeah, so that was a, uh, and so that was it. That was like you know, and then we had a, a movie theater in town, so we'd go and watch. You know, I, I remember, you know, we went to see the Rescuers, for example, with my dad. My parents divorced when I was five, so my dad took us to see the Rescuers uh-huh. at one point, 
which came out in 77. Seems about right, yeah. And I remember. Then, uh, we told my mom uh, later, I was like, oh, we'd like to see The Rescuers. They're like, have you seen it? We're like, oh, no. <laughs> just so you could go again? Yeah. And so we went and we were just like, we gave ourselves away because we started singing along with, uh, uh. with the, <laughs> the songs. R-A-S-C-U-E. Um, so... Yeah, but then I also remember going to see Moonraker. Yeah, man, me uh, too. Yeah. And it's like, and it seemed like the best thing in the world. And now you look yeah. back at it, you're like, oh. Does not age well. <laughs> Still kind of fun to watch. Yeah. For sure. But uh, yeah, I remember at the time Moonraker was like, I mean, the most advanced, you know, futuristic well, thing yeah, I had ever seen. You had a space shuttle. You had James Bond. You yeah. had Jaws. I mean, it was all like, <laughs> like it was everything like a 10-year-old uh, kid could ask for. Uh, yeah. And if you were a Bond fan, it was like. Uh, it really kind of rocked your world to see him in that context mm. of like space and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's like, did they need to do it like that? Probably they could have done it a little bit more cleanly uh, right. without having to go into space. But, you know, I think sure. Star Wars by that time had, you know, made a massive impact. So they're like, we got to take James Bond to space. I guess that was it, huh? Yeah. He's, yeah. You, you know, it's funny how just the ripple effect that Star Wars had on all the all these other movies. And oh, like, yeah. You know. Um, now, were you into that? Were you into sci-fi and oh, stuff? Oh, yeah. I would loved – I mean, I was such a huge – like, I saw Star Wars. I think it theatrically – I mean, this is interesting, too, because, like, it's before, you know, Star Wars didn't air – you know, I don't think they, they ever aired it on network TV. And yeah. We didn't have cable, and I don't even know if they did run it on cable. And if you were lucky to have a uh, a CED or Laserdisc player back right. in the 80s, <laughs> yeah. you could maybe see it. Um, but there was – you know, so I, we saw it. I saw it in the theater. Uh, Star Wars seven times, Empire Strikes Back five times, Return of the Jedi three times. Uh, I was kind of right there with you. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I mean, Star Wars came out when I was six. You were seven. I had an older brother, and so we were we were in there a lot. Like, uh, it was one of those deals where my parents were like, "You want to go see this movie like <laughs> for the fifth time." And we were like, yeah, just drop Duh. us off, you know? <laughs> yeah. What are you, why are you even asking this question? Just this, uh, could not get enough of it. Yeah. And it's uh, – do you remember the skeletons? No. Because there were uh, – when Luke comes back to the farm uh-huh. uh, and he sees all the, the smoking wreckage. Yes. It, in some cuts in – in early cuts, you could see the skeletons of Uncle uh, – Uncle Owen oh, and Aunt Beru. Yes. They're, they're, you can see their skeletons kind of smoldering. Uh-huh. And there were even trading cards which had that image on it. And then I think they cut it away. I, I don't remember thinking, seeing it. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they cut it away. They cut it out after a short period of time. So it's like, you know. Yeah. And if that's the case, uh, you know, George Lucas was always like. Right. Always like quick to correct his what he perceived as his mistakes. Yeah. You know what, man? That's funny you mentioned that because. Not too long ago, I saw someone make reference to the skeletons, and this was like within six months ago, mm-hmm. and I was like, I don't remember seeing any skeletons, <laughs> and they were talking about what a hardcore image that was, and I was like, I don't even know what they're talking about, yeah. and then I went and saw, and it was there, and I'm like, I surely would have remembered that, so was it not in there? I was in there, and then they cu- – I, I think it was in there, and then they cut it out. Huh. And they, did they, was it in a later – did you go back and watch it? Uh, oh, I mean, of course, I watched the – Whatever the re-release, yeah, with it, he you know sort of messed with it, and, and it is in the re-release because I don't I re- think so. Okay, I know there's probably Star Wars fans that know the exact answer. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's like I'm almost hesitant to talk about Star Wars because I it's know like, you're just like there's Go on co- record. There are people like <laughs> tearing their hair out, listening to this. Like, you fool! 
Wolves. Yeah, all I know is I don't remember seeing those skeletons. And then when I saw it more recently, uh, well, in fact, when uh, I had Taron Killiam on and he chose Star Wars, that's when it kind of came up. And I was like, wait a minute. I totally don't remember seeing the scene. Mm Mm-hmm. Like played out like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was interesting. I have a very, I have a very distinct memory of that, um, and I'm just trying to remember if I'm. Yeah, it's funny because, like, I mean, there's also the part of me that wonders if I saw the card and then just sort of inserted the card into this. Like, well, the, I had those cards too. <laughs> all the like, yeah, starting with the blue, then the red, then the oh my gosh, it's that, yeah. It's the only the, thing I still, I mean, my brother I think still has some of the old toys, but we never. I mean, we played with them like crazy. They're all beat up. I, mm-hmm. I never. I didn't even know that collecting those things was a thing <laughs> and that you're not supposed to open them. So we just beat them up. But um, I do still have the uh, calendar. Oh, wow. Uh, which is kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my brother, I think, kind of hung on to some of the other stuff. But well, The calendar is great because it's like having a poster, a yeah. Star Wars poster, but it's 12 Star Wars posters, right. one for every month. <laughs> um, I Yeah. It's – you know, it's interesting because like that, that's another – that's another issue I have with uh, – with the whole vintage thing is like ever like everything's got to be in perfect shape and it's like oh this is still mint on card it's like man i think people i mean i believe things are made to be yeah. played with you know i'll i don't i i got a i found like some Rick, ricardo was one of the characters on Wee's playhouse mm-hmm. uh he was the soccer player yeah yeah and so i got a, a couple of those i found them at a flea market and they were you know on the card and i gave one away and i you know, open the other one and just put them on my <laughs> put them on my shelf. It's like, and played with it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if there's one thing that's uh, that's really makes a 45 year old attractive to women, it's uh, it's playing with action figures. Now, when did you start writing and getting into comedy writing and stuff? Um, I was the way I got into comedy. I was. I mean, I was kind of. I would like to think I was a creative kid, uh-huh. uh, and, and I would just like. But I, yeah, I think I, what the way I really started writing originally is because like I thought I was going to be. I didn't know what I, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I was like once I graduated. I just knew I wanted to go to the University of Wisconsin Madison, right? And I wanted to maybe I was like a big music person, so I was like maybe I'll be in a band or something, uh-huh. and, you know. And it turns out I don't have the patience to uh-huh. uh, to play music, uh, to learn music, or to practice music. So, <laughs> what was your major? Um, I was undeclared for the entire uh, the entirety until Can I you dropped do that? out. Oh, um, okay. So you didn't graduate? Yeah, I didn't graduate. Gotcha. Um, but I started. I was working in a liquor store uh, called Badger Liquor on uh, State Street, which is between sort of equidistance between the state capital and the university. Mm-hmm. So it was like a really heavily trafficked area in Madison. And I would make – I started making signs for the, you know, for the store. Mm-hmm. Just, and I started – first they were straight and then they'd have like little weird doodles on them. And then they'd just start having text, a little bit of text. Then they'd have a little bit more text. And then it would be like text heavy, like, you know, a, you know, a 200-word essay on driving through lacrosse and, you know, where the king <laughs> – where, where old-style beer was made. Uh and then it was like with a little product at the bottom, uh, and that you know, and then that's how uh, wow. people from the Onion found me is because I really have these signs in the liquor store, store posters. Yeah, the signs like would be outside, and it was just like that's pretty cool, man. It was lucky. It was really it was fortunate. I know? bet there are people like there's there's probably like two people listening to this. They're like, holy shit, that was <laughs> that's who that was. Well, there was a bunch of us afterwards that like I because I kind of like started it, and then you uh-huh. know. 
my friend Matt Quiggle, who's like a, a, a still I'm, I haven't been in touch with him for a long time. So if you're listening, Matt, I apologize. I'll I'll call. Um, <laughs> but you know he uh, he would made some funny ones, and then uh, uh, two two other people after us, like uh, uh, named Rick and Anders, they were making signs, and they actually got a uh, they somehow managed to get a job writing ad copy for JNB Scotch oh, wow. uh, based on their primitive signs and paint primitive painted signs. And they asked them, well, just bring that same aesthetic uh, with us. Uh-huh. And uh, I don't think it really sold a lot of Scotch, but it gave them, you know, it paid them for a while. So right. that was the important thing. Interesting. Um, yeah. So it was, it was, you know, and it was good. It was like, it was good to get like to feel, uh, to, you know, put something out there creatively and mm-hmm. get feedback from it. And it was a really, it was interesting. I learned, you know, fortunately at the time I was at the onion, the stakes were really low. So I didn't have to, I wasn't as polished as right. I would have to be now if I was to start writing at the onion. Uh-huh. So, you know, I was able to learn a lot about like, you know, a lot about like, and also I worked with, uh, Stephen Thompson, who was like, uh, he was the editor of the AV club at the time and, uh-huh. and the copy editor. And he sort of like, drummed a lot of simple grammatical stuff into my head that I right. just somehow, that I knew or I'd learned, but I'd forgotten. And uh-huh. he's like, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And so that was, I owe, uh, I owe a lot to him for that. You know, sure. somewhere in my uh, iCloud, I have a photo that I took at the, when I, because when I went and visited you guys at The Onion, it was a very big deal for me. Like, it was early on and stuff you should know. Mm-hmm. And I think it was either you or Randazzo that reached out initially and um, I was such a fan, and it was like I was like, oh my god! Like I felt like I was going to Mecca, <laughs> and just to go to that office and meeting you and Baratunde and mm-hmm. and Joe and Carol and everyone and and Todd and I remember just being in the pitch room because all I ever wanted to do was be in a writer's room, mm-hmm. and I just was so it was just so fucking cool to me, and uh, like this is where it all happens the nerve center of, of like some of the best comedy writing out there. And then I look at the, at, uh, I think it was on the wall, but there was a list of, I think words. The no, no words. Yeah. That yeah. you weren't allowed to use. Um, was it in a headline? Yeah. Like you much. weren't allowed to use them in a headline. And there was topics, you know, there were things that were just like, I think, and I started it. Was it. So f- just reading that was fucking hysterical. <laughs> it was so good. Because it was great. Cause it was like, it was the thing that was like, I mean, it was kind of conceited of me to start that list in the first place. Oh, was place. that you? Yeah, yeah, I started it, and I was like, <laughs> so there would be things like, like uh, William Shatner, no, no William Shatner jokes. Yeah, because uh, like it was kind of like the obvious things, mm-hmm. and it was good. I mean, it was like kind of how to write smart satire was don't lean on this shit. Yeah, exactly. Like there's things you should, you know, and I, now I, I mean, the thing is like I, I'm like oh, I shouldn't do that, but now I still kind of like I carry that with me. About a lot of things, you know, when things, what uh, if I look online and like I see, yeah, people tweeting like uh, things like I see what you did there, and it just like makes my right, <laughs> it just makes my, you know, well, I have these sort of fins on the back on the side of my face that that, that sort of expand to make my face look bigger, so I look more aggressive. They stand out immediately. Like a, that was a velociraptor. Really... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, oh man. So yeah, it's a. I didn't know that that was your list. Or I'm sure <laughs> well, everyone contributed. Everybody contributed sure. once it started. And then some people were like, there shouldn't be a no-no words list. And the other people were like, no, there absolutely should be a no-no words list. And yeah. It was like, you know, as with everything in The Onion, there was, it was 
Everything was divisive. Uh, yeah. So. <laughs> well, that breeds good comedy. I'm sure that like that writer's room was probably brutal. It was pretty brutal. And I think uh, it was brutal and I, you know, but it resulted in some great comedy. Um, like the business of taking comedy seriously is kind of every writer's room. And I don't know if a lot of people that have never done that realize that. Mm-hmm. It's not like, I mean, sure, you guys have fun and stuff, but... Those writers' room sessions are not just like everyone sitting around laughing and patting each other on the back about how funny they are. Yeah, it's, it's like pe- tough stuff. Yeah, it's people being like you know shooting each other's stuff down. Yeah, and, you know, trying not to be personal about it. Um, but you know, you there are in fact there are jokes that I like. One of my favorite jokes that I always remember. I will. I mean, it never ran in the Onion mm-hmm. uh, because it got shot down. But it's like it was always one of my favorite jokes, and it was by. Uh, Chris Karwowski, who is a uh, he's a he produces uh, right now he's in L.A. and doing some freelance writing there, and mm-hmm. he produces the the Trap Set, which is a podcast about drummers. Uh, oh, cool! Great. Um, but anyway, so he pitched this joke, which was uh, okay. I'm going to see if I can. I have to do it exactly right because it's all in the wording. It's the film saw colon how to indicate to others that you have viewed it <laughs> because it's just like it was just like a very convoluted way of trying to like sidestep saying oh i saw saw uh, right. but, uh and that's the thing is like i love the way that was worded and then oh, it's man. like and then like you got to think about that one that's great yeah it's uh it's a, <laughs> and then when the saw 2 came out i tried to revive it with a the saw to how to indicate the two others you have also viewed it. Uh, so yeah. it, it still works. Uh, by Saw Three, I think you're you know <laughs> people were tired of the franchise and uh, you know well no people weren't tired of the franchise because I think it went on for seven. Oh I don't god, know. who knows? Yeah, I I dropped out after one. I was like, yeah. I was like I get it's it. It's not my bag. <laughs> um, so my favorite Onion headline ever is uh, drugs win war on drugs. Yes. Uh, who wrote that? I would. I don't know for sure. It seems like a. It might have. I, it seems like it would have been Todd Hansen or or Carol Kolb, but just so simple yeah. and like kind of perfect. Uh, and then I sent Randazzo one one time that he. Uh, I don't think I ever told him this, but it just like broke me. Like I sent him what I thought was a good headline, mm-hmm. and and he he said something about like yeah, something about sending it to the workshop or back to the wood shop. <laughs> And I was just <laughs> devastated. I was like, oh, my God. And I was like, because I, I didn't want to be the guy to even send him a headline, you mm-hmm. know. And I was like, all right, I'm going to do it because I think it's good. And I put myself out there and he kind of shot it down. And I was like, oh, geez. Well, for every headline meeting we had, we had to come up with like 15 to 25 headlines. I know, And man. of all of those, like, <laughs> you were lucky if like 1% of your work got into the paper. So. Yeah. yeah. I didn't have that thick skin that you guys had to develop. Yeah. Uh, and it's hard. Sure. It's like it's it's hard not to take it personally. It's like I'm I not, know. I mean, I mean that's part of. I mean, I think because I was I knew everybody that I was working with, and yeah. I didn't feel like I had to prove anything. Well, I mean that's not true. I've probably always felt like I had to prove any every something, but I felt at least comfortable enough to accept when a joke yeah. wasn't working, and like, well, that's that's fine. It's just not going to go, and this is not. You know, maybe this isn't the time for that joke, or maybe that joke is just terrible. Yeah, just, but I still sometimes have, it is not the right time. Yeah, and it could be another time. Yeah, I've got like a stack of notebooks, probably like a foot high, that are just filled really? with yeah, all my old headlines. You a lot of the stuff. Do I, something with that? Can you? Yeah, I mean, 
maybe. I did take a lot of my old papers and uh, I donated them to the University of Wisconsin. Oh, uh, cool. Because I was like, including like original headline lists from the like uh, the nine eleven issue, uh-huh. all the things that we pitched. Oh, man, I remember that. Woof. Uh, yeah, you guys great... handled that really well. I mean, that was like, I, I wish I could take any credit for it. I was there in the room, but I was just like, I couldn't wrap my head around it. Right. But uh, God bless him, like... You know, Todd Hansen was the head writer at the time, and Rob Siegel was the editor at the time, and they fucking blew the doors off of it. And yeah, they were like they they knew exactly what they were doing. Yep, um, because they're like we we can make jokes, but it's like this is the 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 tone has to be like not about the act itself, but yeah. the, it has to be about what the you know how the collective. You know how the collective, how America is collectively dealing with it. Yeah, yeah. And I think that was like that's why it worked. It wasn't like, you know, there were no cheap, there were no tasteless jokes, there yeah. were no cheap jokes. It was just well, you know, I guess the tastes, the tastefulness of the hijackers' surprise to find themselves in hell story, right, could be argued, but that was very cathartic. That was a some real uh, beautiful violence uh, written, yeah. written by John Crewson, who uh, he that was. I won't say that was his specialty, but that was definitely. Oh, really? Yeah. Just like a, it was a, uh, it was a smorgasbord of just horrible acts being visited onto the terrorists. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> and I think, yeah. Now, did uh, certain writers have certain specialties? They were like, oh, well, this has totally got to be a Hanson thing or like a Joe Garden thing. Yeah, I mean, everybody had that. Like, I had regular characters that uh-huh. I did, and I also would do like other. Like, I wasn't. It's great at the news format, but I think I was good at character voices. Uh-huh. Uh, <clears throat> You know, Todd Hansen was good at like the sort of uh, the sort of area man, uh, the area man stories where it's, yeah, like, yeah. it's like sort of. Uh, I got to be an area man too, you know. Yes, you did. Which was one of my like great things ever. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember the headline? Or? Uh, oh, something about uh, I was a deer hunter. I can't remember exactly what it was. Um, and then I think it got dusted off and used again <laughs> later on because mm-hmm. someone sent me another one. Oh, that's great. But yeah, I, I, I love it. I, I hope they – Keep finding me in the archives and <laughs> putting my mugshot up there. It's a. I mean, the thing is, like, it's a great picture because it's just like it's just like you. That's the thing that the best thing about it is like about the photos is like they just had a knack for finding people and just being like, yeah, don't don't goof it up, <laughs> don't like don't yeah, yeah. be jokey, just like stare, like just look straight ahead, uh-huh. just like you can, you don't like don't smile, just sort of look like a. It's like so that way everybody just sort of looked. Natural and normal. Yeah, yeah. Um, that wasn't the joke. Yeah, the joke shouldn't have been the picture. Right. Um, unless, of course, it was a particularly hilarious picture that was ad- <laughs> it was photo edited by uh, our graphics guys, Mike and Mike and Chad, at the time. Now, do you still read the Onion? Are you still, or did you just like kind of? I, I think I I haven't separate. really. I I separated and I go back every once in a while, but I don't really I don't really read it that much. I think it's like, um. Maybe painful is the wrong word for it, but it's just like I think I I because I know how it's made. I just you mm-hmm. know it, it. I did have an interesting experience last year. I was uh, I went back for the there was a uh, comedy. They had an Onion Comedy Festival in Chicago, mm-hmm. and so I went uh, for an Onion panel uh, that was like uh, a lot of the old like a lot of the older school writers were right. there for it, and we. Uh, yeah, which was really interesting. But I, I went and sat in on the writers' room uh, for their pitch meeting. 
oh, was wow. there. There's a lot more writers, and it was just sort of strange. Just I just didn't want to. I didn't. I just wanted to sit on the periphery and yeah. sort of like see how it had that changed. That must have been so weird. It was really weird. Like I didn't, you know, I didn't know anybody really, and I was just like, you know, I was like, God, who are these kids? This is, these it's are, almost all like so young. You're watching someone make the movie version of uh, <laughs> of what happened with you guys. Well, apparently, there's like, there's like been. I've I've heard rumors that like that two former Onion people have been collaborating on like a fictionalized version of. The Onion, but I don't know what the narrative arc of that would be. It's like for me, it's just like, well, uh, we were all uh, kind of we were all kind of dumpy losers, and some of us, <laughs> some of us went on to be less dumpy, less losers, and some of us uh, remain dumpy losers. So uh, you know, it's not yeah. a not a great trajectory uh, for a story, not very propulsive. Well, I don't want to knock anyone's work, but um, after the big split when they moved back. Uh, and all of my pals kind of were no longer there. I, uh, with keen interest, sort of kept an eye on it for a little while. Mm-hmm. And it was not uh, nearly as good. And then I just kind of quit. <laughs> I think, well, I think, I think they th- found their legs a bit more lately from mm-hmm. some of the stuff I just see on like Facebook that someone will share, mm-hmm. uh, which is good. But I think yeah. it might have been rough going there early on. I think it's hard to make the transition when so many people leave and like yeah. everybody has to – you know, it's definitely through no fault of the people that are there. They're all like the people who went were very talented. You know, uh-huh. Chad Knackers, uh, it was like he had been, a, it's funny because he had been a graphics assistant. Then he became like the head of graphics. No, he didn't even become the head of graphics. Then he became uh, a writer. Then he became like the head writer. And now he's the editor in chief. Uh-huh. Uh, he's still with them, uh, you know. Will Tracy was writing for like went out as the editor uh, to replace Joe Randazzo, and he you know went on to uh, I think gosh where is he now he might be at Colbert or the Daily Show mm-hmm. it's hard to keep track of my former peers right <laughs> uh, and then Seth Reese was working for Seth Meyers and uh, so they all like it's like not there was no want of talent I think it's like I think. With the people that went – that made the move to Chicago, it, I think people just kind of got the wind knocked out of them. And it was mm-hmm. like it was hard to re – like to readjust to, you know, living in a new city, living, you know, with the business – you know, the business side had been kept at more arm's length in the past. Right. And then because they were in another city, it was a lot easier to keep the business side at arm's length. So then when they moved, like – I, I mean, I'm this, this is speculation. Nobody's really said this – uh, as much to me, but you know, when the business side is right there, it's like right. you just you know, there's a it's a little weird. Yeah, th- there's a discomfort, uh, mm-hmm. a bit of a discomfort to it um, that had to be over that had to be overcome as well. Uh, and I, you know, there's still like good, like they, there's still good talented people. Sure, coming like going through there and like, and I see stuff that I see stuff that pops up on you know yeah. on Twitter, and I it makes me laugh. Yeah, and yeah. So there's still like, and the thing is like. I'm, if I'm being honest, like there is no way in hell I would want to be writing onion jokes in this day and age. Yeah. I hate to say in this day and age, but like making jokes about Donald Trump is just like, you yeah. know, it's like the clown who cried, the Jerry Lewis, uh, right. the Jerry Lewis movie about the Holocaust, where yeah. it's just like, ah, it's like, he's like, I can make this work. And it's like, yeah. I don't want to, I mean, they're not, they have a more deft touch than Jerry Lewis, go figure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh, it's still. I mean, I just 
I just got so, I mean, after the election, I just got so angry that yeah. I, just, I don't think I would have been able to make I know. jokes. I'm I would have just you, been like. Nothing's funny about this. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really, uh, really hard. Can I make a quick side track? Sure. Because uh, you brought up like seeing stuff on Facebook. Uh-huh. So I, I've been off of Facebook since October. I like, uh-huh. I didn't quit. I will probably shut down and delete the profile eventually. But so every time I hear a social studies, I'm just like, oh, man, <laughs> I wish I could have gotten in on that. Well, didn't you like uh, text me some or something or email I did. me well, some? Well, there is one I, I texted you uh, <laughs> and it was about the it was the, the tropes. And the oh, trope, sure. The trope I, I, I messaged you was like uh, uh, the person in some sort of like uh, – like in a horror or a sci-fi movie, it's like, uh-huh. you're bleeding. And like they touch their nose and they're bleeding. <laughs> like, oh, and like it's either some sort of hypnotic effect or, you know, uh, or psychic attack or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, total trope. <laughs> um, but I actually, I jotted down some. Oh, uh, you got some tropes? I, I, well, that's that, not just tropes. Uh, some other things I wanted, wanted to know if I could uh, All right, get everyone, in there. Joe Garden just pulled out his so, uh, social... little pocket uh, notebook. Social studies with movie <laughs> on movie crush. <laughs> this is the Joe Garden edition. Uh, so the most memorable movie experience that did not involve uh, going uh, that did not involve uh, the movie itself. Uh-huh. So, oh right, right. Um, I love that you're catching up on this. <laughs> <laughs> I, listen, I'm, a, I'm a, such a big fan of the show. I'm oh, such man. a regular listener, and it's just like I'm just that. I just thanks, uh, man. You can text me your shit anytime. <laughs> but um. So uh, the most memorable experience was I was working at the – like one of the side things I did is I worked at the Illinois State Fair Mm -hmm. at a worker-owned and operated food stand called Fred's for about 10 years. Uh And, uh, you know, it was a pretty grueling – you know, it was a pretty grueling job. You'd work for eight hours in the hot sun in a like 24-hour restaurant food stand. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, you know, one of the things – one of the few – you'd – there's only so many times you can wander around the fairgrounds before right. you're like, let's get the hell out of here. Yeah. So my friend Wes and I decided we were going to go see uh, we were going to go see a movie, mm-hmm. and so we went to the White Oaks Mall in Springfield, Illinois. Yeah. Went to see the Mystery Men. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and we were enjoying it, except for there were this group of about like maybe between like five and ten teens uh-huh. sitting toward the back of the theater. <laughs> yeah. And they were like, they were laughing and like like just talking, and they were like. Rolling M and M's down the aisle, uh-huh. not that on the aisle, but like so, just like being intentionally disruptive. Right. And so, I stepped out <laughs> to use the bathroom. I came back, and I was like, sort of like sitting there by the back of the theater, going, "Do I talk to these? Like, you know, I mean, if you're uh, if you are a teenager uh, listening to the show right now, you should know that uh, even uh, semi confident people in their twenties, uh, thirties, and forties are terrified of you. So. <laughs> You can do whatever the hell you want. Uh, and I was like, oh, do I, do I confront them? And just as I'm thinking this, like watching, them, watching this group of teens, I see this guy come up to them. I don't hear exactly what he says, but he says something, and then he sprays them with a fire extinguisher. And I was Holy like, shit. I was like, what the? And I was like, uh. Like, oh, mild, wow. And then he like runs out the theater, uh-huh. and I'm just like, okay. And I just sort of like <laughs> walk back down, sit to my friend Wes, and then they – turn off the movie because there's this, this cloud of oh, sure. powder like floating yeah. throughout the thing. It's like, oh, yeah, we're going to have to refund your money, everybody. <laughs> and that was someone who was just fed up? Like was somebody you? who was just fed up like me. Wow. Who, it was sort of like a, it was sort of like a you know, uh, it was like a walking tall scenario. He took the law into his own hands. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> That's a good one, man. Yeah, it was really, it was really unusual. Yeah. And then, but I was just really, I was kind of in shock afterwards. <laughs> I would like to point out that I was not the one who did it. Uh, right. And that's not for legal reasons. That's the absolute truth. Uh-huh. Uh, that's a good one. So here's another social studies. Uh, here's my haiku hint for okay. everybody. All right. Uh, Giovanni Rabisi has seven syllables. So if you can... Oh, that's pretty out. good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, like years ago, I was like making f- joke... Uh, I was making joke things, uh, you know, uh, joke listings on eBay. And one of the things was like, <laughs> I was... I made this listing about how it's going to how you would be able to buy an original haiku that would uplift the spirit uh-huh. and uh, I was like samples available on request and somebody said I'd like a sample and so I said to a I said to a haiku that was I saw this movie Giovanni Rabisi what was I thinking and he wrote back he's like sir do you even know what a haiku is I'm like, like dude that's a haiku yeah <laughs> I was like, it's a, I know it's supposed to be more pastoral, but that fits the format. Oh, that's great. Um, what else? Well, the last one, I uh, this is interesting because like this sort of this ties in the movie we're going to talk about, uh-huh. uh, and that is there was what movie do you regret seeing, like sitting through? Mm. And I remember listening to that, and I came up with my answer. I was like, I was like, oh, what movie do I regret seeing? I was like, it took me about fifteen twenty seconds. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, the New York Ripper. Uh, and I was like, I don't even know that movie. It's directed by uh, Lucio Fulci, who directed Zombie. Oh, okay. uh, he was like a, you know, it was a horror. It was a giallo, uh, an Italian giallo movie, and it was just about a killer that would call. He was like, sort of talk like Donald Duck, and it was just like this, <laughs> just terribly misogynistic violence against women. Uh-huh. It was just like it was just. You know, and I knew what I was getting into to an extent, but it's just like it was just so horrible. Like it was like dark, I mean, not dark in like a yeah. It was like it just it was just nihilistic. Yeah, and yeah, it's like it was nihilistic and misogynistic. And at the end, I was just like, I just feel like a bad person for having watched. That. Yeah. Um, and then like twenty seconds later, as I'm listening, you're like, oh, uh, our own Robert Lamb has uh has his uh. Has his answer? Uh, he's uh, the New York Ripper, and I was like, "What the hell? <laughs> How does that work?" That there's like two of us uh, that chose this like weird Italian, yeah. and I wasn't even like I honestly wasn't trying to go out of my way to be like to be to be, like what kind of obscure because like who am I gonna except now years after the fact I right could, uh, make it public? But yeah, it's one of those things. I was just like, it just made it was. It left such a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah, um, and that's really the hardest thing is when you're, you know, when you're a genre fan and yeah, the genre yeah. really, really lets you down. Uh-huh. So, and that's the thing about horror movies is like, I think that sort of made me a little bit more picky about the horror movies I I watch now, mm-hmm. just because like I love. I mean, it really is my my, my favorite genre. Um. But I'm a, I won't just go see everything just right. because it's a horror movie at this yeah. point. So. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. 
Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. The Hyundai Santa Fe becomes available early 2024, so get on it now before all the good camping sites are full. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Ready to bring some spring vibes indoors? Bare Premium Plus Paint is here to make it happen. And it's starting at only $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Picture your kitchen coming to life by adding a pop of blue with the bare exclusive color Arrowhead Lake. And let's not forget your living room. Picture it drenched in the lush, verdant tones of Amazon jungle, breathing new life into your space with every glance. Head into your bathroom and let the cool breeze of sea glass wash away all your stress. And when the morning sun peeks through your bedroom window, Feel the warmth and comfort of a spring sunrise with shades like coral cloud and dark crimson. Whatever your inspiration, start your spring with a durable finish that resists dirt and grime to last all season. And let your creativity bloom with Bare Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Well, let's get into the movie then. Okay. It's Suspiria, right? That's how you pronounce it? Suspiria. Uh, Dario Argento's Suspiria. Uh, so I watched it this morning. Okay. For the first time <laughs> ever. Uh, I had seen clips here and there. Um, and this is what I did for this one. I watched it uh, this morning, but I didn't like dive into any side research because mm-hmm. I thought it might be fun to, just, to sort of rely on you. Okay. Because I'm sure you know your shit. Uh, but 1977, and the one thing I did find was the log line for the poster, which is great. Uh, the only thing more terrifying than the last 12 minutes of this film are the first 92. That <laughs> <laughs> was on the poster. Yeah. It's uh, it's I mean, it is like one of those movies that I, I think I told you when I when I – Emailed you about my my pick. I'm like, it was pretty funny. You said, "Don't I mean, let e- Emily watch this." Yeah, because like I, you said, like she you hates know. horror movies. Yeah, yeah. Um, she wouldn't have made it through the first six minutes. Oh, that's it's a because it's yeah. rough first. Yeah. I mean, that first Suspiria is I, one other thing. I send the email is that Suspiria is a great movie without being a good movie. Yeah, it's like the it's the plot is like doesn't really hold up to scrutiny. Sure, the Acting for a number of reasons is like there's actually some there's some really good acting in it. Uh-huh. Um, like Jessica Harper, the star, is mm-hmm. fantastic, and Joan Davis, I think, is her name. She's her performance. She's like the she's not the head of the the dance academy, but she's like the, the number two. Yeah, both of the those women were great. I thought. Yeah, the the, the head head and the uh, and the subhead, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word. Yeah. <laughs> And there's like such a, you know, oh, there's so, there's so good. But uh, Joan Davis, actually, she has a, her background is in old, you know, classical Hollywood. Like she uh. was like, like 19, she was a star of a lot of like 1940s movies and some noir, like some noir movies. Um, 
So that's the thing is. So that's the thing is like, but you have to go into it understanding it's yeah. more of a, a more of a sensory experience than like a coherent film. Yeah, uh, that you're gonna watch. And you also said to watch it loud. Yeah, and that's the other reason I waited. Um, Instead of watching it last night in ideal situation at night in the dark or whatever. So it was a beautiful sunny day, but I cranked up. I got the Bose sound bar. Oh. And I cranked it up like there was no one in the house but me and the dogs. And uh, it is uh, fucking like you talk about a sensory experience. Yeah. And I felt like that was a lot of the movie was just that. It was like you're right. It wasn't about the plot. It was about. Sound and and color mm-hmm. and and just putting you in a emotional state. Yeah, the thing about the sound, like the the soundtrack, was like the like really driving and it really like oh, it, so good. It, it's an amazing soundtrack. It's yeah. by an Italian uh, an Italian band called Goblin. Right. <laughs> this is sort of what they're known for, right? This is. I mean, they've done other soundtracks, but yeah, this is like I've listened to their other stuff, and there uh-huh. are you know their other stuff is a lot more just straight prog rock, right? Uh, and it's okay, but it's like not really my bag. But this, like, this soundtrack is like it's otherworldly. It's yeah. got like strange chimes and uh-huh. uh, you know electronic uh, electronic keyboard and uh, bazooki, which is used to very bazooki is like a Greek stringed instrument. Oh. And it's used to really interesting effect. And uh, Argento actually asked Goblin to write the soundtrack before. The movie was made. Oh, interesting. So that they, you know, kind of put the cart before the horse. I think they made some adjustments after right. uh, after they saw it, but that was like, you know, the main theme was created. Yeah. Um, so effective. Yeah. And the other thing technically about it is that it was one of the last films, definitely the last film in Italy and may have been the last Western film to be shot with a three it's a three strip emulsion process of Technicolor, which is like I mean that's it's really wonky. Uh-huh. But what Argento wanted was he wanted these really vivid hues. Yeah, and he got them. No, yeah, and he got them. Everything is like you know bathed in like really bright red or yeah, bright, red, blue, and green yeah. were like the prominent, especially red. Yeah. But, yeah, it's all over the place. And then throughout the movie, he also talks about, like, there are other references, a lot of color references within the movie. You know, yeah, the oh, red room. Go to the yellow room. Uh, uh-huh. Professor Vertigast, Vertigast is, uh, you know, the doctor. And uh-huh. Vertigra- Vertigast is, you know, if you break it down, Verde is green. Uh-huh. Gast uh, is scare. Uh, it's an archaic use of the word scare. Interesting. It's like Shakespearean, but, yeah. Um, which is also interesting because, like, you know, there's also a lot of weird misdirection throughout the movie. Like, they make a big deal, like, about Professor Verdict. Well, let's – should we go sort of walk through the movie for well, people who haven't seen no, it? Well, we, we can talk uh, however we want. We can jump all around. Okay. Um, I You know, let's go through a little bit. So I think it's like for people who don't know the movie, yeah. it's like – it was like shot in – like, it was released in 1977. Uh, and it was like – it's a horror movie that is – uh, centered around a, a dance academy mm-hmm. uh, in um, Munich, Germany. Germany. Yeah, uh, and then the lead, the the heroine, or sort of not even much of a heroine. She, yeah, she is. She does save the day at the yeah. end. Um, her name is Susie Banyan, played by Jessica Harper. She shows up at the dance, the Don, the Tanz Dance Academy. Uh, also, Tanz is German for dance, so it's the, the dance, dance dance academy. <laughs> um, and pardon me. I, I, yeah, she shows up and, uh, 
as she's entering the school, this woman is running out. Yeah. And she can't, like, she's, like, talking to the intercom. You can't hear anything. There's, like, thunder and lightning. Oh, and, like, it's so, like, I mean, from the moment she is at the airport, mm-hmm. um, it's just, like, it makes you uneasy. Yeah. The sound and the wind and the rain. And she gets in the cab and the cabbie can't understand where she's saying to go. It's funny. And then he repeats back exactly how she said it. Yeah. As soon as she gets in the cab, you know, she's trying to connect with this person. And she's immediately, you know, it's apparent that she's immediately cut off from all human contact. Mm -hmm. She's like saying, Escherstrasse, Escherstrasse. He's like, was, was? Yeah. Oh, (laughs) Escherstrasse. It was so funny. Um, Also... Just want to point out Escherstrasse, you know, I think of MC, like Escher Street, or I don't know what Escher, if Escher has a meaning in German, but I was thinking of MC Escher. Oh, interesting. And then a couple scenes later, uh, they go to the bathroom where the first woman is killed, and there's all that sort of Escher-esque, uh-huh. like, wallpaper, like the birds turning into other birds. Yeah, and so yeah, on. yeah. So. But there's just this discomfort from the very beginning. Yeah. And then when she arrives there and the and the lady is just going – like as she's approaching the door, this woman is just batshit out of her mind, mm-hmm. runs through the woods. And it's just such a great setup, tone, yeah. like setting the tone. Yeah, and she can't even – it's funny because she gets there at night and she can't even get in. Like nobody, right. will, nobody will let her into the door. Yeah. So she has to go back and so she see – she's driving and she sees the woman running through the, through the woods. Uh-huh. And then it like follows this woman. What, okay, one thing about horror movies – this is my little aside. Uh, some people, I like pretty much everything about horror movies. Some people, uh, one phrase that comes up with a lot of horror movie fans is, it's got th- these great kills. Yeah. Uh, and I'm just like, you know, it doesn't really, uh, that doesn't really make a whole lot of difference to me usually. But man, does Suspiria have some great kills. <laughs> Dude, that first one. Oh, it's is bonkers. Off, like just batshit crazy. Yeah, it's like, you know. She's uh Oh my god. She's left this this woman has left the school and is like staying with a friend. Uh she goes into the ba- Oh, I think I wrote down the the line of dialogue cuz it was so weirdly stilted. Um It all seems so absurd, so fantastical. Would you mind if I use the bathroom? <laughs> uh anyway, she goes into the bathroom. She sees these eyes outside in the yeah, dark yeah. and then she's like Goes closer to the window. Goes closer to the window to peer out. Yeah, and that's when, that like, lamp. yeah, the hands come through the window. Oh my god, pulling her through. That whole sequence was just like. Uh, I mean, when she's she's got her face pressed against the glass. Yeah, and 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 the, you think that's the worst of it. Yeah, and it just keeps escalating, and how fucked up it gets. Yeah, it's like it's. I mean, even when she's like she's pressed against the glass, it's not even. Like kind of press, like she's being smashing in the yeah. glass. You can see her face like smashed oh, yeah. in the glass. You can see her like breath on the glass, uh-huh. and then she's pulled through, stabbed a bunch of times. The slow killer... stabbing, which is super creepy. Oh gosh, ugh. I mean, it's just funny because I've seen it so many times, but I still like. Oh, I'm sure. Shudder every time I see that. Yeah, stabbed directly into the heart. Yeah, um, a beating heart. <laughs> right, which is you know obviously you couldn't have seen that. Right. Um, but it's like – and then uh, she's – while she's screaming, her friend is outside like going from apartment to apartment yeah. like, help, there's a murderer, there's a murderer. Like just like flailing and banging. It's like the way she's moving is yeah, yeah. really over-exaggerated and it's just like it's so terrifying. It is and, the, and it's so loud mm-hmm. and like you said, it's just so kinetic and frenetic and uh, 
it, it just like it's <clears throat> upsetting, like yeah. genuinely upsetting. And it's, even for a kind of a schlocky, you know, seventies Italian horror film. Yeah. At the end of it, and I had heard about this first kill. You know, it's legendary. Yeah. And I had never seen it all the way through. And it, it, after it finishes. In the middle of a bright sunny day in Atlanta, I just like found my finches, my finches, my hands, my fists were clenched, <laughs> and out loud I went, "Jesus fucking Christ!" <laughs> it has that effect. It's just like yes. I mean, it is like that's. I mean that's that's why I that's why I love this movie is because it's just it's not, you know, it's smart for what it is. Yeah. Um. And it's really. It's not just trying to be like – it's not trying to be clever. Uh-huh. It's trying to just – it's trying to upset you. Yeah. And there's also some more upsetting details about it. Like originally when he, they conceived this, he uh, he and his partner at the time, Dario Nicoletti, mm-hmm. I believe was her, was her name. As it was conceived, the students at the dance academy were 10 to 12. They were uh, like really young. Good and like Lord. you could not have made that movie. With <laughs> not that, even then. Because they wanted – I mean what they wanted to do is they wanted to make a fairy tale, which is – I mean – but there's all these things that like make sense when you – that falls into place when you watch it. There's like a, this yeah. narration at the beginning that's sort of almost like once upon a time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then as they go through the halls of the the dance academy, the set design, which is also just – amazing and just really surreal. Mm-hmm. The set design is such that like they placed doorknobs at about chest to head level. Uh, oh, interesting. So that way people would look smaller. Uh, um, there was something about it that I couldn't quite put my finger on. Yeah. That just sort of, and again, it's just maybe it disorients you or just gives you a sense of discomfort. Mm-hmm. And it uh, it does it succeeds on all that fr- all those uh, oh, yeah. fronts. And then so anyway, uh, she uh, it slowly comes out that the the school is not just a dance academy; right. it's a coven of of witches. And the head witch is which you don't learn until like twenty minutes out from the end of the film, right? And it's like it it, it teases it out a little bit. I mean, the soundtrack is less than subtle because sure. <laughs> there's parts of the soundtrack where it goes witch, 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 witch. <laughs> um, but you know, they it, the covenant of witches is led by this one ancient witch named Helena Marcos, who right. is uh, you know in the uh, you know she was born in the eighteen hundreds, uh-huh. and uh, you know she took it over and uh, supposedly died, but it has really been like, and that's you know. It's not effective storytelling because, like, they don't really reveal enough about Helena Marcos for you to really be afraid of her. Yeah. They're just sort of like – you're like, eh, you know, every – they instead of the plot deriving – or driving the scares, it's the atmosphere that's driving the scares. Oh, man. So, the atmosphere for sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, they have it all. They have the, the, uh, the hulking – Mute giant. Yeah. Uh, they have the creepy little boy. Oh, yeah. The, the headmistress type, you mm-hmm. know, a couple of them. Uh, like all all the th- – it's all there. Yeah. All the horror movies. I hate to say tropes, but I guess tropes. Yeah, they are. I mean, it's like the – yeah, the creepy little boy who doesn't – you know, you don't really know what's going on with him. They have the – you don't know who's in on it or who's not. Like they, Yeah, misdirection again. Yeah, there's like the blind piano player who is right. Like, who is like you think? Oh, he's kind of unsettling looking. I wonder yeah, yeah. if he's in on it. Well, no. No, they, he gets his neck chewed out by his, by his own dog. By his seeing eye dog, and the 
the plaza they shot that was actually uh, that was a site of rallies that uh, of of Nazi rallies. That, oh, that, really? Like back in the back in the thirties and forties. And wow. like, I've seen footage of you. Know, you can see footage of, of it. that place. Yeah, and it's just like you know, it's Hitler is addressing a crowd. There's like thousands and thousands and thousands of people filling this. And then when you but in the in Suspiria, when the guy dies, he's just alone in this oh, yeah. gigantic plaza. That was Nobody a great shot, that oh. huge wide shot. Yeah, which was a nightmare to light. Apparently, they had to use these gigantic carbon arc lights to, oh, wow. to illuminate the buildings. And it took them a couple, you know, may have taken them a week to set everything up for that shot. Yeah, like what kind of budget did this have? I don't know, actually. Huh. It's a, I mean, it made, it did make its, I mean, it definitely made its money uh, internationally. I uh-huh. know that like. I think it made over, you know, in 1977 uh made like 1.2 million in the US. Right. Which is pretty impressive uh for a low but not low budget, but for a horror movie. Right. Um Yeah, it's just like Like some parts of it are really impressive, I think visually. Um and, and I like a, I like <clears throat> movies sometimes, not always, but sometimes I like a movie where you can tell it's a stage set mm-hmm. cuz it just sort of feels like uh, make believe in like the right way. Yeah. And this sort of had that, like the dance Academy felt like I could just picture this like elaborate stage set, Mm -hmm. you know? And that's the other, yeah. And it, it's, everything is super, like the colors in it are super saturated. Yeah. The angles are really unusual. There's Uh like all these like sort of deco flourishes and deco staircases. Yeah. Yeah. uh, That are all over. And it's, but one of the interesting things about it is like you never – two of the films, you know, you know, ordinarily, if it was an action movie, it would be to its discredit because when you're watching an action sequence, you want to have a good sense of space to know what's right. going on. Yeah, and orient yourself. Yeah. Uh, like The Avengers, for example, has this – I would just watch it again or rewatch it again recently. Uh-huh. And there's that great sequence. It's like a crane shot. Or I don't know if it's a crane shot or it's like a digitally composited shot where it's like uh, – you know, the, it's like – Following all the action as they're fighting the the aliens in New York, and it's like it goes from one hero to another. Yeah, and you see everybody like fighting, and you have a really good sense of what's what's going on in there. In Suspiria, there's no sense of space at all. Like, yeah, you don't know what like when somebody is pulled through a window, you don't know what where they are exactly. Yeah, um, and that helps uh, offset you know that helps set up the the experience as a the unsettling experience. Yeah, and I think the 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 action of the film itself, like the plot is uh, like I even I even wrote down in here that um, like it, it it bugged me for a little while that I had no idea what was really going on. Mm-hmm. But then I think I, it sort of occurred to me that's what was keeping me so on edge mm-hmm. and uneasy It's because yeah. I didn't know what the fuck was happening. Right. It's like there's not much. I mean, there are definitely a lot of third person uh, omni- like omniscient shots where you can see things that the other characters can't yeah. see. But mostly you're just sort of following the experience of Susie Banyan. Right. And so you don't know what's going on necessarily. Because she doesn't. Yeah. Because yeah. she doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's all the, like I said, there's other there's other bits of misdirection. The most famously is the, the maggot scene where... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so good. Like, you know, Susie Banyan is in her room just brushing her hair. Uh-huh. And then you see these little white things falling down into her hair. Yeah. And then she's finally like picks something out of her hair and it's just a close up 
really tight close up of yeah, a thumb yeah. and forefinger, and there's like a writhing <laughs> maggot just like flopping back and forth between them, and then this music just like like yeah. kicks on and it shows then it cuts outside and all the girls are like screaming out of their rooms uh-huh. um, and that's one other thing and it turned out to be like old food right it turned out to be yeah it turned out to be old food <laughs> that was in the attic that had nothing to do with the plot I know it didn't it, it was just, just upsetting is that why he did that I think so misdirection it, and... it did I mean it drove one element which is they're all Instead of sleeping in the rooms, they all sleep right. in the gymnasium. Yeah, or yeah. The, and, uh, Which sets up that great, like, nighttime silhouette. Yeah. That red uh, silhouette shot. Yeah, they set up sheets all around the, the sleeping girls. Yeah. And then there's a – that's when you first sort of halfway see Helena Marcos. Right. Uh, she's, like, behind, you know, like, sleeping behind them. And you find out it's Helena Marcos because there's this long, convoluted explanation. It's like, I heard her, uh-huh. and she was snoring, and that's her <laughs> snore. It's just yeah. like – it's like sure. Yeah. One uh the actress who sort of delivered that line, uh, she uh her friend Sarah. Yeah, yeah, Sarah. Uh Sarah is like she was Italian. There's other, you know, there's like a lot of Italian actors, there's some American actors, and then there's also uh Udo Kier and other German actors. A young Udo Kier. Yeah. Young and handsome. Yeah, he was really good looking. Yeah. Even I saw a making of documentary that was shot twenty years later, and he was still pretty good looking. A little, yeah. a little bit, you know. A little bit more, I guess, you know. Like threatening? <laughs> yeah. But um, I was surprised to see him, though, and, and see him like young and handsome. I was like, wow. Like he wasn't always just like super creepy. Yeah. He was he was actually the good guy in this uh, in this case. Which is crazy. Like when I saw that he was in the movie, I was like, oh, yeah. Udo oh, Kier. Oh, like, yeah, Udo Kier did it. None creepier. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just like delivers some information, basically. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Again, sort of half delivers half information. Right. <laughs> When they shot that, though, uh, nobody – like Udo Kier was speaking in German. Uh, the Italian actors were speaking in Italian. The American actors were speaking in English. So they were actually like – they dubbed over everybody's lines at the yeah, end. Yeah, sure. And so like it's not even people were mispronouncing dialogue. They just were doing it in their native tongue. It yeah, just, you could tell like sometimes it was better than others. Yeah. To me, that's just the craziest thing in the world. Oh, they also didn't do – uh, they, everything had to be done in ADR uh-huh. uh, because they didn't do any on sound. Uh, they didn't do any re- sound recording on set. So. Yeah, plus, yeah. I, I mean, there was so much like, like wind and rain and things falling and breaking and like. I, I imagine it was a sound nightmare. Yeah, like, like on set. Yeah, how would you even? Yeah, how would you have done that? I mean, especially, you know, with a. I mean, you could go into post and be like, oh, we'll just add the wind effects later. But like, no, you actually had physical wind buffeting the microphones. You had like <laughs> exactly. physical rain, like like sheets of water just yeah. like being poured down onto the, you know. It was, it was also extreme. Yeah. You know, it couldn't just be like rain. It had to be a rain that was like upsetting. Yeah. Almost. There's a lot of water. There's a. A lot of water motifs in that too. Like you have the rain, like the giant rainstorms at the very beginning and the very end. Right. You have like water going down the drain and like, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when she cleans the blood out of the sink. Yeah. And like water, you know, other uh, – the swimming pool scene. Where oh, right. Uh, which was shot – most of the – like most of the interiors were shot in in Italy but they went to Munich to shoot some exteriors mm-hmm. and that – pool was actually in Munich. I think it might have been been an Olympic pool uh, that they built for the 36 Olympics. I don't know. That's like 
Yeah. That's <laughs> half information. You should go go research that yourself. Well, it fits uh, right in with this movie. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's such a good, I mean, I just, I, I make a habit of watching this every year around Halloween. I uh, think it's going to be on my list now, like my rewatch list. Yeah. It feels like a movie that you, you can see something unique each mm-hmm. time you watch it. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's also got like even the the things that are kind of corny, uh, like there's the there's the Olga the character of Olga who is just like in it for a couple scenes and then she just disappears altogether. Was she who is she? She's the woman that is uh, uh, Olga is the roommate uh, for the first night. And oh, then she, yeah, yeah. Then she falls ill, and then she just like kicks her out of her apartment. Yeah. And yeah, then you yeah. never see her again. Um, but there's that scene where in the, they're in the dressing room and she's like, squawk, 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 Mara Harry wants to talk. <laughs> and then later she's like, Susie, Sarah, I hear that I read somewhere that people's names begin with S are snakes. And then she starts hissing at the woman and yeah. the woman sticks her tongue out. And you know, meanwhile, Susie Banyan's behind them both as they're like uh-huh. getting like face to face. It's just – it's really funny and it's yeah. insane. But it's so – and it's also – it's funny but it's also unsettling because like why are these grown women acting yeah. like, you know, like six-year-olds? Yeah. I mean it had it had this thing where it was a fun watch while also being like deep like legit disturbing mm-hmm. like those kills even like i said is like a 70s sort of schlocky thing it was like i i found myself just my face was all twisted up when i was watching it mm-hmm. and i was just uh i was tight i was nervous mm-hmm. um uh, that that 70s blood whatever they used to use back then yeah that color it's just so like distinct and and kind of unsettling, right? I mean, everybody talks about uh, everybody talks about how they use now. If you have a low budget horror movie, you use like a blend of like detergent, caro syrup, and red food dye, right? With a little blue thrown in to make to make blood that pops. Uh-huh. But this doesn't look like that. This looks like this looks like tempera paint or nail polish. Yeah, it's just yeah. Like, it is so thick and it's just like really and it pools really heavily. Yeah, and, looks viscous. Yeah. <laughs> It looks viscous and like it's, you know, like you'll be scrubbing it for hours right. if you. Um, yeah, it's such a, it, I just love this movie so much. It's just such, I mean, it's funny too because I would just like to point out that uh, my other two favorite movies were already covered. Uh, Joe Randazzo covered uh, Robocop. Oh, nice. And uh, I can't remember Go figure. Was, uh, we, we, you know, it's funny. Like, what was we, the other one? Uh, Groundhog Day. Oh, um, okay. Griffin McElroy. Yeah. Yeah. And we had, because I was, uh, yeah, that I mean, so it seems sort of weird. Like, it seems like a, I mean, I guess this seems sort of like far, like choosing Suspiria seems sort of far afield from somebody who uh, was a comedy. Uh, yeah, person. but I know you, so I wasn't surprised at all. <laughs> like, I know your love for this movie. Yeah. Um, another great kill that we have to talk about is Sarah. Oh, God. Who, who, um, who gets out of a room by stacking a bunch of suitcases on one another mm-hmm. and leaps from a window into a uh, room stuffed with razor wire. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> why is there razor wire in this room? There's no – and it's also funny because, like, th- she's locked in this room yeah, with yeah. a simple – it's a simple, like – it's not a deadbolt. It's like a yeah, – It's a, a little latch. latch. It's uh-huh. a latch that, like, falls down. And, like, the – person on the other side of the door is like trying to open like push the latch up yeah with for, a, for way too long yeah with a straight razor <laughs> and they can't quite get at it so you're like well, why don't you just stay there why don't you just like hold the like hold that down or whatever yeah. <laughs> but no she's like she she 
takes the time to stack that up, and then she falls in this room of razor wire. And it's sort of like the uh, it's just like the scene in Ed Wood where uh, Martin Landau falls the in octopus. the pool with the octopus, yeah. <laughs> and he's like has to sort of like pretend the octopus is alive. And that's the scene. That's the sense I got from this is like she's totally. like oh like yeah. this. and that like it was just wire. It's like if you look close. I mean, if yeah, you look there are no half, razors. Yeah, on there's it. no razors. There's yeah. no barbs. Um, and then the razor comes out of nowhere and slits her throat. Right. You don't know that there's somebody – suddenly somebody's in the room. You don't see the person enter. And the other – one – I mean, I keep on saying, and the other thing. Right. <laughs> but uh, I get really – I get really excited. Um, <laughs> you never know – I think it's important to talk about the violence in the movie because yeah. the violence is definitely – the victims are all definitely women. Mm-hmm. Um, however – there are almost no men in this movie. Right. Like there are a couple – there's like the creepy uh, Pavlo uh, mm-hmm. is one of the guys. Like he's sort of the mute uh, – Right. The mute sort of Frankenstein looking yes, guy. with the new teeth. Yeah, with the new <laughs> teeth. He's so proud. Uh, but – and then there's like a dancer who – a male dancer who right. is – you know, you don't know if he's part of it or not. Yeah, he doesn't yeah. seem like he is because you never see him uh, – like do anything. You never know who's doing the killing. Like yeah. you just see a hand uh or you see like uh or else you see the the dog uh, uh-huh. attacking the the blind H- man. Who is doing the killing? Doesn't don't know. Oh, okay. It doesn't really like it's never clarified. All right. Um I didn't know if I missed out on something. Nope. All right. You didn't miss anything. It's just like it's just there's just some somebody being killed. So you never know if it's like a man who's doing the killing or a woman doing the killing. And Considering the time and considering a lot of other slasher movies and uh, giallo uh, movies, none of the killings are sexualized, which mm-hmm. is something that my wife was like pointed out to me. She's like, she's like, yeah, there's like all these women, not all. There's only like three. Uh, there's only three deaths in the whole thing, but like the women who die, like that's, they're not sexualized. Yeah. Nobody is shown topless. Nobody. There's yeah. There's nothing. There's none of sort of tawdry elements that are associated with slasher films. Right. Um, I mean, there, th- that's actually a misstatement of uh, – that's a total misstatement. <laughs> there are a lot of tawdry things that are associated with slasher films, but nudity and sexuality is not one of them. Like nobody's, right. Nobody's being punished because uh, they're sexual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you don't really know why they're being punished, for example. I mean, for, That's in part of end. why it's so upsetting is there's yeah. no rhyme or reason to any of it. Right. It's like Susie Banyan arrives and she's suddenly being targeted. Right. But for what? Like they like when you sit there and think about it, it's like she's the only reason she actually starts to take action is because they have deemed her a threat. And, you know, it's a very circular argument. Like, well, if we don't get her, she's gonna yeah. she's gonna be a threat. But if she's not a threat, you I mean, if you we don't present ourselves, she wouldn't be a threat. You know, it's just it's kind of ridiculous. But it's Well, there is that one scene with Udo Kier and then the the German professor Kind of the only – I mean that's where you get all you, all the information on kind of what's really going on. And he said that they uh, – this Coven – Coven, listen to me, <laughs> American movie. <laughs> I don't want to call it Coven. It sounds like Oven. <laughs> this Coven uh, and the occult is what they keep saying in the movie instead of occult. Mm-hmm. Um, they gain wealth by causing – through like by causing suffering in others. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of the only time that's mentioned though. Right. As like – and essentially, that could be the plot of the movie, which is like 
this coven lives on and gets wealth and gets rich by killing. Like that's why these killings are happening. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't really revisit that. It just sort of lobs it out there. Yeah, I think it's like you know, it, it's everything is a flimsy pretense for the effects. Yeah, uh, like you, he's less interested in making the story make sense as he is like sort of punishing is the wrong word, but just really sort of like making you feel something. Right. And I think that's like, that's not, in some cases, that's doesn't work. Like I said, the aforementioned New York Ripper. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where it doesn't work, it just makes you feel like, oh, this is just really gross. And right. I'm not carrying anything away from this. And in some cases like this, it works really well. Yeah. It's like a sensory experience more than seeing a movie almost. Yeah. It's like a, instead of being in a sensory deprivation tank, you're in a sensory <laughs> overstimulation tank. Well, and it's funny seeing today, like, so many movies are clearly owe so much to this. Mm-hmm. Like, when I see something like The Witch or Hereditary, um, there's a lot of the DNA of this movie in those films, I think. Yeah. And because yeah, they were – but they definitely didn't have the same uh, the same violence. The violence is – you know, the violence yeah. of Hereditary, for example, is mostly unintentional and off-screen. Right. Uh, sure. And, like, The Witch – is you know again the the the, the witch is like it's most of the violence is hinted at but they're just like they're more they're really interested in just like those movies are interested in like doing the same thing like putting you off balance yeah and you know oh, I think I've said before we're I feel like we're in a golden age of horror right now where mm-hmm. we're just like there's so many good smart horror movies that are being made. I wonder what it's going to say about us because it's like right when you look back at the horror movies like, you know, with the the slash – the conventional slash movie where Mm -hmm. people are being – you know, people are being punished for like Friday the 13th style for taking drugs or being Mm -hmm. sexually promiscuous as quote unquote. Um, You know, it says about – that says a lot about our reaction as a society to them, you know, and same with like the – Movies like Invasion of the Body Snatchers in the 50s. Right. Um, that says a lot about like how our fears of communism. Like what are the horror movies now saying about us as a society? Like right. I think it's like, you know, that there are a lot of forces. I'm not – I mean not – there are forces that are out of our control that we just were, are powerless to stop. And I think mm-hmm. maybe that's, you know, there's definitely a sense of that. I mean not in a – supernatural or an occult way, but just like in a way of like, do we really, you know, do we feel like we have, we feel like we're, as we are supposedly being brought closer together by social media, yeah. we're sort of like being driven further apart and we're losing our agency and we don't have, you know, we don't feel like we have the power we once, we once did, uh-huh. you know? So I think maybe that's, maybe that's what's going to come up when things like The Witch, yeah. for example, like, or that's what you can read from stuff like The Witch. Uh, get out though. That's a little bit more pointed. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, that oh his man, new movie I'm looks so, great. I'm so fucking excited to see yeah. that. I can't wait. <laughs> I and was, I saw the trailer too for the other uh, the guy who did Hereditary. His new one. Oh really? Yeah. That's know. out. It's, when is it? When is the movie? Uh, I'm not sure, but the trailer dropped like last week, and okay. it's it's another sort of uh, um, folk horror. Uh, hikers wander into this like sort of Swedish village where like there's some uh, wicker man type shit going on. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Another cover of witches. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's something happening there. Help, Haman, <laughs> help! Oh, 
Yeah, I've been I've really loved the I've really loved being able to go see decent horror movies in the I mean even some of the like the ones you wouldn't expect are, are good uh like um is it unffriended? There's like there are two social media based oh, right. horror movies. There's like Yeah, uh, I didn't see the one. Unf- of those. Yeah, one of them is I, I hate I think this, unfriended is I think that's it. There's unfriended and unfriended dark web. The, the, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> those those two are actually really those two I thought were really effective. They're oh really? Because really it's like they have a gimmick, and the gimmick is everything you see transpires on the uh, on a computer screen. Oh, okay. So everything is within like with Skype and with like uh-huh. email, p- like pictures being emailed and like you know the facebook posts and so on uh-huh. and the other one is like uh, i think oh friend request is the other one and that's terrible don't <laughs> do not watch friend request that one is just hot garbage unfortunately i decided to buy that one not because i had com- i had uh i had confused the two movies and so i ended up with the bad uh with a blu-ray of the bad one. <laughs> well the end of this film is just uh again batshit crazy uh sarah comes back with her like, those pins in her eyes, mm-hmm. and those oh, yeah. bolts through her wrists, yeah, and she comes up not alive but dead alive, yeah. After her, and uh, as as she's as Sarah or as uh, Susie is confronting Helena Marcos, yeah, yeah, who is like full uh, on witch at this point, right? You don't see, you can't see her. She's like silhouetted, yeah. She draws back the curtain, and you, she's invisible, yeah, until like the <laughs> until she's stabbed, right, right, and like the she's able to find out where she is because the she's sort of illuminated by a lightning flash. Yeah. She takes this bird, you know, this sort of uh, crystal from a bird statue that she had knocked down. Was that from the peacock lamp? Yes. Dude, I wrote here, God, do I want that peacock lamp. Oh, it's so amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. And that's, yeah. And it's like, so she uses that, stabs her through the neck. Yeah, yeah. Sarah disappears, and then everybody else starts to like, you know, it's like a Star Trek uh, phaser shot where everybody's like, <laughs> or, or like on the bridge, like rocking back and forth practically. Right. She runs back and the people are clutching their throats yeah. uh, and bleeding from the eyes oh, and so man. on. And as she runs out, the whole thing is – and it's really distressing to me because like I just look at those interiors they made and they just destroyed them all in this in the final scenes. Where yeah, it's like, everything's just blowing up. Yeah. And, and that like, was all real stuff. Like I imagine that was a – uh, I bet that was a dangerous set to be on. She was terrified. Yeah. Uh, I read an inter- like I read an interview where she's like, "I it was the scariest thing that sure. happened to me." They they told me what was going to happen. They walked me through it, but it's still so much stuff could have gone wrong. It's like doors are literally getting blown off their hinges. Uh-huh. Statues are like exploding. Yeah, it's like even if you do it safely, there are shards of yeah. of wood and ceramic flying everywhere, and you could really. Injure yourself that like way. you get. It was very visceral. You got the sense of her distress as an actor. Yeah, like that seemed real. Yeah, it was very much real. Yeah, <laughs> um, she's actually she's uh, yeah she's a really she's also in another one of my uh, favorite movies, which I haven't seen in a long time. So I say my favorite movies is just, but it's one of those that I just uh, love to pieces when I saw it, and I just remember some certain scenes from it uh-huh. very much. Uh, my favorite year. Oh sure. Yeah. Yeah, Peter O'Toole, man. Peter O'Toole, Jessica Harper, and Marklin Baker. Yep, he um, was so great. Yeah. There's a scene in that where Peter O'Toole and Marklin Baker are uh, trying to climb up a building and, uh, to oh, yeah, get into yeah. this, like, fancy party. <laughs> yeah. And there's these two, so- like, New York socialites <laughs> are sitting up there, like, talking, like, very sophisticated. Like, you know the actor Alan Swan? 
he's beneath us because <laughs> they're climbing up and trying to get up there. Right. And the other guy's like, well of, course, well, of course they're beneath us. He's an actor. Uh, such a great dumb joke. I know. I, I just, love it. I did too. Oh, it's such a good movie. Um, oh, boy. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. The Hyundai Santa Fe becomes available early 2024, so get on it now before all the good camping sites are full. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Ready to bring some spring vibes indoors? Bare Premium Plus Paint is here to make it happen, and it's starting at only $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Picture your kitchen coming to life by adding a pop of blue with the bare exclusive color Arrowhead Lake. And let's not forget your living room. Picture it drenched in the lush, verdant tones of Amazon jungle, breathing new life into your space with every glance. Head into your bathroom and let the cool breeze of sea glass wash away all your stress. And when the morning sun peeks through your bedroom window, Feel the warmth and comfort of a spring sunrise with shades like coral cloud and dark crimson. Whatever your inspiration, start your spring with a durable finish that resists dirt and grime to last all season. And let your creativity bloom with Bare Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. All right, dude. Well, we finish up with five questions, as you know. I do know. Um, first movie you remember seeing in a theater? Uh, the first movie I remember seeing in the theater is uh, it was it was I must have been I, I think I must have been like six or seven, and it was Paper Moon of all things. Ah, great That's, film. I, it is, and I was like, but I was like, am I crazy like that? And I because I've gone back and looked at looked it up. I was like, I remember seeing this in the movie theater. Yeah. But it came out in like 1972. Why would I have seen this? And it's like then I remembered. Oh well, you know, at the time you didn't have like like things didn't come out like a thousand prints flooding the theaters right. all at once. Things would sort of like travel around. Sure, and like sure. Prints would go from place to place, and you know, in a small town of five thousand people, Paper Moon would show up in you know three years later. Right. Uh, <laughs> so I remember seeing that, and I was like, again, I thought oh, maybe I'm kind of misremembering that. And then I went and watched it on an airplane. Uh, and I was like, oh, nope, that's, I remember a lot wow. of this. So, yeah. Paper Moon. All right. Yeah, my mom took me to that. Uh, first R-rated movie. 
My mom took me to my first R-rated movie as well. Okay. Uh, and it was John Borman's Excalibur. Oh, uh, great movie. It is, but it also has a really uh, upsetting rape scene right at the yeah, beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my mom was like, close your eyes. Yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah. I was like, Ugh. And then it's like the- That was a definite hard R. It was a hard R. I'm surprised she took me to it. But yeah. I think it was like, you know, I think she knew that I was, you know, I had an interest in- Sure. Fantasy and science fiction and yeah, horror. Yeah. So she was, you know. <laughs> and, and then like, so that was uncomfortable. And then like decades later, we went to see, oh shoot, what's the name of the movie? It's uh, uh, Angelica Houston, John Cusack, Melanie Griffith. The Grifters? The Grifters, yeah. yeah. Where at the end, it's, you know, Angelica Houston tries to seduce her son. And yeah. I'm just like, <laughs> I don't want to be watching this with my mom. This is really uncomfortable. Oh, and then you went home and watched David or Russell spanking the monkey <laughs> just to finish off that Freudian like, well, nightmare. Let's, yeah, let's, let's get out of here and get into something a little bit more relaxing. Uh, all right, number three, uh, do you walk out of a bad movie? I have walked out of one bad movie. Oh, man, what? Uh, I don't know if you're going to like this. It was Oliver Stone's The Doors. Uh, oh. Because I was just, I think I, it was, it was a free screening at the University uh-huh. uh, of Wisconsin. I remember going there. And to me, like, getting a free movie ticket was, like, a huge deal. Was, like, oh, sure. I was like, I felt like I was like, yeah, I'm going to get to <laughs> see a free movie. And that was the most exciting thing in the world. And then I just felt like I was just being subjected to this sort of n- – this narcissistic, uh, self-destructive mm-hmm. guy. And I was just like, you know what? Fuck this. I can't take yeah. this anymore. I'm out. And then I <laughs> – you know, and I – you know, I – but I haven't walked out of a movie since then. Oh uh, wow! Because I've I'm all I'll always just like sort of tough it out sit through to the end and yeah, you know, I even sat through Howard the Duck in the theater. <laughs> um, uh, number four, I tailor to the guest, and I'm going to go with uh, what is your favorite American horror film? Well, it's funny you should ask. My guilty pleasure movie uh, is. <laughs> uh, did you have one for guilty pleasure? I did. Okay. Uh, so I'm just going to shoot it out there anyway, and then I'm going to answer your question. Uh, my guilty pleasure movie is Heavy Metal. Oh uh, yeah, the yeah. animated movie because I know it's terrible. Uh, there's some good. There's some great animation. Uh-huh. There's some. It's got a stellar cast like John Candy, Eugene Levy. Uh, it's. Uh, I think Chichen are Chichen Chong in it anyway. Probably. Um, it's got a great cast, but it's just so dumb. It's like you want it to hold together. There's a couple really good segments, but it's just like, but I'll watch it every once in a while. I'll be like, oh, this is terrible. But am I wrong? Right. And I'll go back and watch it again. I was like, nope, it's a terrible movie still. Great poster, though. One of the great posters oh, of all God. time. It is so good. Yeah. yeah. The Lochnar. Yeah, um, yeah. But uh, yeah, favorite American favorite horror Favorite American film. horror movie. Uh, I'd have to say it would probably be Evil Dead 2 because Evil Dead – it's interesting because like I think you have the spectrum of Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, Army of Darkness. Mm -hmm. And Evil Dead I think is really good. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's a little – you know, it's budgetary constraints show a little bit more. Evil Dead or Army of Darkness is funny and action-y but it's a little bit – too slapsticky for me, but Evil Dead Two is just—it's that sweet spot because yeah. it's just like it's—it's it's got these this great physical comedy mm-hmm. of like like the great physical comedy of Bruce Campbell. Like he's such a good—he's such a good physical actor. Yeah, like the way he's the way he moves, like mm-hmm. in the the scene with like where 
he's in the laughing room. Yeah, uh, yeah. And he's like sort of <laughs> mimicking the lamp, like ah, uh-huh. like going up and down. He's and it's the way he's like he's able to like his face just looks so horrified and contorted. It's funny. It's scary, and it's like it. It makes it like is a well executed like it's a well executed plot, well yeah. executed everything. But there's so many other good movies like Get Out, like as the aforementioned Get Out, the yeah. like the witch, um, you know, the original Halloween. I like the Halloween remake. Um, yeah, I did too. I liked it. Yeah, it was fun to see. You know, it was fun to see all that. Like, it's fun to see people taking it seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, like I said, I will. Go see. I won't go see every horror movie, but I will go see a lot of horror yeah. movies. Yeah. Um, uh, and finally, movie going one hundred and one. What's your routine, Joe? Okay. Uh, my routine has changed slightly because our uh, there's a, there are a couple local local theaters. Like there's one in Woodstock and there's one in Socrates, mm-hmm. but they only show movies like in the in the evening, mm-hmm. and which is great. Uh, Socrates has a $5 cheap movie night where you go on Mondays and Thursdays. And, yeah. Uh, but I won't go to that because it's like, eh, I'd rather be home. Uh, you know, I'm I'm getting older. and I, uh-huh. I So my wife and I always go to see uh, matinees where, yeah. whenever possible. Um, but our local, like, mall theater closed down recently. Mm-hmm. And so we've had to go further. Uh, for the matinee? For the matinee. Yeah. So it's like it happens a little less often. And the theater is a little bit smaller. We wound up, we wind up at it is a little bit smaller. But I always try to go as dead center as possible because mm-hmm. at some point I got fixed in my head. You know, maybe when I was uh, studying film and video uh, in in college, like you know what, you should be in the center because like that's where you you have the best vantage point, the mm-hmm. best viewpoint, and like this, you get the full effect of all the sound. So right. I will always do that. Um, and then we'll always get. I always used to get, you know, maybe just get. Uh, a popcorn and maybe a soda or something like that. But uh, ever since I started, ever since my wife and I were dating, uh, we would get we get a large popcorn and mm-hmm. a large soda. Mm-hmm. Uh, the popcorn has to have tons of butter. She mm-hmm. made a great comic about that, uh-huh. where it's like you don't know. She, it's just like six panels of her. You don't know what she's talking about, but it's just like each panel. Is, she's like. She says, just pretend you're drowning a small animal in there. <laughs> uh, enough to make it seem like it's really unhealthy. Yeah, uh, yeah. And then at the very end, it shows her. It's at revealed. A, yeah, it shows her at a self-serve <laughs> butter machine. It's going glurk, 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 glurk. Yeah. Um, so we get a popcorn with a lot of butter. And then we also get like a, like the soda is always a large. And tr- I've been trying to get, I don't like to have caffeine usually, well, as I drink this caffeinated soda. Right. But I try not to have caffeine uh, after a certain point in the day. Mm-hmm. So I'll get like uh, like the pink lemonade and uh, seltzer mixed. So it's right. not quite as swi- sweet. <laughs> uh, and that's my jam. That's what I love to, that's like such a, like yeah. a, a solid tradition. Nice. Yeah. I don't, uh, I mean, I, I my mall theater is supposed to open up. It looks like they're doing some work, some renovation. Oh, there, okay. So, so it didn't go away. About, yeah, it, it went away, but I think it's going to somebody's reopening it. Cool. Yeah. So, yeah. Awesome, man. Yeah. Thanks for coming in. I, thanks for having me. I, you know, it goes without saying, I love the show so much. Thanks, I'm so dude. I'm happy you agreed to, to have me. Yeah, you know, we'll meet up. Uh, maybe you can do like a horror movie special. We'll meet up in New York or something in the fall. That. And we can put, put it out in October. Well, I would love to do that. All right, man. We'll so, do it. All right. Thanks, John. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, it was so good to catch up with Joe. And if we 
had too much of old pals catching up in there. I'm sorry. But that's what we do in here, everyone. We have a conversation. Just two people turning their phones off and talking to each other. Sometimes it'll go down that path. And I had a great time catching up with Joe, seeing what he's up to these days. And I really mean it when I, uh, I say this. That era of The Onion, where Joe worked there for all those years with Todd Hansen and Joe Randazzo and Carol and that whole crowd that I, that I got to meet and befriend, Baratunde, um, it was a very special moment in time. And I put it up there with the, the heyday of the Harvard Lampoon back in the 1970s and, and the 80s when the state got together um, and formed a, a comedy collective. Like I, I believe it really does stand out as one of the great groupings of talent in one place. And that would have been in their office in Soho in New York City. Um, so thanks to Joe for coming in here. Such a good dude. I'd like to have him in here again uh, next time he comes through town and we'll talk about another horror movie. Maybe we'll do some horror movie specials with Joe in the future. Uh, very endearing, lovable guy. Uh, if you knew Joe, you would feel the same way. So I hope you all enjoyed that. Uh, check out Suspiria. It's again, it's a it's a tough one. So uh, watch it during the daytime, like I did on a nice sunny day. That's what I would recommend. <laughs> Takes a little bit of the edge off. So thanks for listening. Until next time, um, I would advise you not to sign up for the creepy German ballet academy. Don't do it. Movie Crush is produced, edited, and engineered by Ramsey Yunt here in our home studio at Pont City Market, Atlanta, Georgia, for iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota. Let's go places.